All right, it's the DT difference. It's 30 years experience in the game. DT systems. E-collars we've been using for a while now, but let's quickly talk about their dummy launchers. They got the Super Pro dummy launcher and the remote dummy launcher. It's a great way for you and your dog to get ready for duck season. Loud bangs. Make sure your dog's cool with gunfire before you use it. But I want you to add it to your repertoire, bag of tricks, and get you and your dog ready for duck season. It's the Super Pro Dummy Launcher by DT. Our baby Gunner Kennels. Man, one of the things that I love about Gunner Kennels is they're thinking about our older hunting buddies. Old Buck, he hangs out in a gunner kennel when he goes to and fro. And in his, we've got the ortho pad. He's got the old joints. And even if your dog's not old like Buck, you just want a little bit of added protection as you're rolling down the road to keep that dog from bouncing around a little bit. So the ortho pad, super huge. If you got a younger dog that may dig a little bit, maybe chew a little bit, that performance pad is going to be clutch as well. So check it out. It's the full kit brought to you by Gunner Kennels, always innovating our industry and always keeping your dog safe. Sliding the dms if you'd like to learn more about getting you and your dog into a gunner kennel it's force fetch baby it's the number one question we get asked you don't know how to fix it let me help you let me get you to your goals we built a course bunch of videos i think there's 13 or 14 videos start to finish on how you and your dog can get through the force fetch process successfully the link's in the description be sure to check it out and let me help you and your dog What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of your Lone Ducks Gundog Chronicles, baby. We got a good one coming up. My buddy Mike Vaughn, a Bird Dog Wars flushing world champion, NBD, that means no big deal, is up. It's going to be a fun episode. He's super charismatic. I'm really excited to talk to him about genetics and strategy and, and conditioning and training and all the things that add up to to creating a world champion flushing dog to go and win the bird dog wars but first i'm gonna give a quick shout out to the old lone duck outfitters website we've got some new t-shirt designs kevin asked me to pump that up so check it out lone if you like listening to this episode if you learn a tidbit if you ask some questions on the old instagrams at lone duck and i help you out and you want to show a little appreciation grab a hat grab a t-shirt we thank you we got our e-collars and other stuff on there too so if you need some more training supplies they're there but hey if you just want to say a thank you grab a hat also if you're Looking into training your dog and you want to have a little bit more one-on-one with the old Uncle Bob, Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. We've got a growing community on there where we're talking about drills and marking setups and puppy training with Prairie, uh, live Q&As like we do on Instagram, but more in depth with you and our friends in the community. It w- it'd be great if you join you know, for five bucks a month, you're you're buying me and Kevin a beer for doing the podcast. We appreciate your support. Also, real quick, it enters you to win a bad to the bone hunt next year. Neck, what is it? Twenty twenty one waterfowl season. Did we book that? Yeah. So that is booked. 
and we need to have him on the podcast next week. Let's do that. All right, cool. Cool. Let's line them up for next week on the podcast. We're going to announce who we're doing the hunt with. Stay tuned. And if you join our Patreon, whether it's for the, you know, whatever tier you're in, if you're on our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters, you can win a hunt with me and Kevin, one of our buddies, one of our dogs. We're going all expenses paid. Come shoot that. Ooh, next up. Bismuth. Kent, we're going to get you anything you need. You bring your own gun, I guess. Although, I guess we could supply you one if you're dry, flying and you need a gun. We can figure that out. We'll That's figure some, that out if you details, win. But we'll, we'll figure that out. But all expenses paid. If you're on our Patreon, you're going to win. So, hey. Whoa, you, you have a, you're not going to win. You have oh, a chance to win. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Great point. We're not taking a hundred and some people. <laughs> yeah. No. If you're a, a Patreon member, you're entered to win. So, check it out. Buy us a beer. Help us get better equipment, better video equipment, all the stuff that provides us more information for you to help you with your dog no big deal and then on top of it you're entered to win this bad to the bone hunt it is a trophy style hunt it is not shooting woodies or mallards or mergansers like and i there like is to shoot nothing wrong with shooting some fine well, fine hoodies but oh, this yeah. won't be that yeah this won't be hood merganser shoot or common merganser shoot i promise this will be the legit so Check it out, patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. Uh, next up, Yukonuba, baby, the food that fuels the truck. New formula. We talk about it every week, but I am encouraging you to do a three-month challenge. That's three bags of Yukonuba. Get it on Chewy.com. Super easy. You, you don't have to find it in a store. You don't have to drive anywhere. Just get on your little iPhone or whatever you got in that pocket and whip out Chewy.com. Order you up Yukonuba 3020 or 2616. That's going to be my suggestion for most of you listeners. 2616 or 3020. Get on it. Do the Yuke challenge for me. And try it for three months. Tell me what you think. Next up, Gunna Kennels. They got their food crate back in stock. We've had a few people asking, when is that coming? What's going on there? It's back in stock. They had such success with it, they sold out pretty quick, but they're back. Like, like two days, they sold out quick. Yeah, it was bananas, but they're they're awesome. I love it, and they're back. Yep, check it out, and if you're interested in getting yourself into some Gunner products, whether it's their kennel or adding some accessories to your kennel or the food crate, you can shoot us a direct message on Instagram, and we'll we'll be happy to help you out, get you, get you into one. Uh, next up, Dogtra. Now, I don't know if you saw this on the old Instagrams, at Lone Duck, but I recently posted a picture from 2012. It was me, Kevin, our friend Dave, who was on the podcast a few months ago, and Buck, my my first gun dog. And I said I I made a comment about like how young we were and where it's taken us, and it was kind of a cute little post, you know, memory lane. And I also like apostrophe or not apostrophe parentheses parentheses by the way for all of you wondering if i'm really a doctor guy from way back in 2012 i had a dog truck collar around my neck and around my dog's neck so it's visual proof that i stand behind the products and i've stood behind them for a really really long time quality customer service i trust them try them out if you're in the market for one you can get on lone duck and check it out 
or shoot me a direct message and I'll answer some questions. But check them out, Dogtra on Instagram. It's Dogtra Official. Next up, smoke them if you got them, baby. Those Traeger grills. Uh, I recently smoked a Boston butt, a little pulled pork, and the butt, the butt was really good. It was the best one I've ever done. But what I I loved on the app, you can just like Google. Uh, well, you can't Google it. It's the app. But you search on the app like what you're cooking, and it'll give you recipes. So I picked a recipe that sounded good, and I made my own barbecue sauce, which, guys, I'm being serious. I suck at cooking. I just I picked him one that sounded good, and I had most of the ingredients, and then that sounds good, and it sounds like this. So I added that because I didn't have this. And then a little bit of this because I didn't have that. And bingo, bango, bongo, I had this sauce that I swear to you was like God's sweat dripping from the heavens onto my pork. And he just sweat this this liquid and I just ate it with the pork. And it was so good that tonight I had a little bit left over and I just was dipping bread in it. It was so good. So Traeger... If you got it in the budget, get you a Traeger, baby. You will not be disappointed. And the app that comes with it, it well, the it, app's free. You can, if anybody wants to check that out, that's free. Oh, all uh, right. So if you for recipes or anything like that, I mean, sweet. Well, I didn't know that, but either way, some? yeah, get you some. The, the recipes on there really make me seem like I know what I'm doing. Um, next up, Kent. I had mentioned it before. I already mentioned the business, but. <laughs> Give them the business with the bismuth. Not, I don't need to say anything more. Enough said. Enough said. Shoot them with that bismuth, baby. I don't know why we're shooting steel still. That That's the real deal. Why shoot them with steel? Get the, Get the real, real deal. deal. Bismuth. Wow. All right. <laughs> Every week we're going to come up with a new tagline. Why shoot them with steel? Get the real deal. Dot, dot, dot. Bismuth. I'm going to have to put in some phone calls and just... Yeah, the we're t-shirt like, machine is coming. Yeah, the like, t-shirt machine's coming, and we're going to be head of marketing at Kent any day now. <laughs> it's just, it's happening, baby. All right, uh, lastly, Waypoint Outdoor Collective. I think that's it, right, Kev? Yeah, Waypoint, Waypoint Outdoor Collective. They also reposted the picture of you, me, Buck, and Dave oh, on did their they? Instagram. Yeah, they said it was cute. Nice. Down well, memory lane. Yep. Good people. Yep. Fine people over there. Check them out on Instagram, Waypoint Outdoor Collective. All right, let's get into the show. Now, into Mike Vaughn, hailing from Wisconsin, Bird Dog Wars champion, back to back to back to back to back to back, the man, the myth, the legend. Mike, thank you for coming on the show. Do me a favor. Tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Yeah, guys, I'm happy to be here. I'm Mike Vaughn from Wisconsin with the Black Wing Shooting Kennels. Um, or a facility that trains retrievers for upland and waterfowl and we do uh, hunt tests and upland bird dog tournaments some qualifying field trials as well but mainly on the hunt test side we do hrc and akc but so that's kind of what we specialize here we do do some pointers as well yeah that's something that we'll dig into a little bit more because uh for everybody who doesn't know and probably wouldn't know because it was uh through the summer like when we were qualifying for Master National, I ha- that didn't happen. M- me and the dogs rolled out to Wisconsin and Michigan to run a test, and I got to meet Mike in Wisconsin in his home state and run a test together, and we, we hit it off, and so we're glad to have him on the show. But we also 
not commiserate, but sort of, and also just chatted about it. He he likes to dabble in the old pointing world too. So he's got an English pointer, and I've got the English setters, and so we talked a lot about that too. So we'll get into that more as the episode goes on. But Mike, one of the little ways you got, I'm going to jump right into this. You got kind of famous via the bird dog wars. Can you tell everybody what that is and where they can watch it? And like, how, like from start to finish, man, I'm so intrigued by the game and where it started and how you got into it and, and made a name for yourself in it. Yeah, and that's a big open question there. But, well, kind of let's just describe Bird Dog Wars for a second. Bird Dog Wars actually has been going on since the 2000s. It's just that later on in like uh, 1617, they started Bird Dog Wars as a little bit more reality uh, TV show so that you get more of an inside view of the travel, the competitors, the bickering, the the training uh, back and forth where the old show used to just be like up next is Mike Vaughn with this dog. Up next is Bob Owens with this dog. You know, it was kind of a little more rudimentary. Um, this bird dog wars kind of came and sat down at your house and said, Hey, what are you thinking? What are you training? How are you doing? Um, what, what kind of dog takes to win this thing? You know, um, who do you think you got to beat this season? And that's kind of where bird dog wars um, came from. And there's a lot of great stories I can give you behind the scenes and stuff too, but, that's bird dog wars. However, it's a, it's basically off of the national bird dog circuit, uh, what we call BDC. So you're going to hear me say BDC a lot, which is uh, national bird dog circuit, which you can look up online. And it's basically the easiest way to describe it is it's a rodeo circuit for upland bird dogs. Pointing, they have a pointing division on one side, and they have a flushing division on on the other side. Um, so the best flushing dogs in the country compete against each other, and the best pointing dogs in the country compete against each other. Um, much like, you know, hunt tests and, and stuff like that, where you're competing against a standard and then you got qualifying field trials and then you got obviously amateur and open, um, in the AKC field trial world. Well, this is an actual, I'm going to show you, I got a better bird dog than you. Just like, you're going to show me you got a better blind or blind running and marking dog than me, you know, SRS, AKC, um, stuff like that. So kind of what got me into it and what got me rolling in it is, you know, I just needed a break from life. When I owned my martial arts school, I was a martial arts instructor. We actually fought in a cage, and that was my rush, was cage fighting. And I owned a martial arts school for 11 years in Madison, Wisconsin. And, uh, you know, my business coach just kind of said, hey, man, you're, you're a little crazy with the fighting in the cage. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't, do that to, you can't do that the rest of your life. So what do you want to do to, uh, you know, start taking your time away from your business and getting off the fight game? And I said, I think we'll get a, a bird dog now because I had seagulls when I was a kid. And. I actually had a field champion beagle, Northern Michigan Harehound Association. It's actually big over in New York and Maine over by you guys, too. It was really big back in the 2000s and the 90s, um, mm-hmm. Eagle Field Trials. I actually started out in that um, when I was a kid and got that going on 13. And my beagle was a field champion. He was a Northern Michigan and Wisconsin and Lower Michigan uh, High Hound of the Year in 1999. Um, he went to the Nationals and placed a fifth. There's a National just like there is and everything else we do. Um so yeah, that's kind of the start as a kid. So can and I pause? Martial arts. Hold on, real quick. I yeah, want to learn ahead. more about that beagle. What was yep. that sucker's name? Yukon. Was it? A, you, I mean, part of my friend, she's a badass. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you gotta think about that. You gotta think about a thirteen-year-old kid who's 
you're just crazy about competing beagles, and we're in Wisconsin at the time the snowshoe hair pot. I mean, he's born in 1996, right? You got to think at that time that, you know, all we got is, you know, you can't drive a car or nothing yet. All you can do is grab your beagle and go to your neighbors, and there's snowshoe hairs everywhere, you know? Um, and at that point, you know, you start running, then you realize, holy crap, there's a competition to this thing. And then before you know it, you're a judge. And before you know it, you get your first car, and you start driving these things, and you join a beagle club, and you start meeting all these guys that are getting into sport and support you along the way. And before you know it, you got a dog that's whipping everybody. Wow. You know, and the funny part about it is, is uh, kind of like us, kind of like going to qualifying or going to a bird dog worst tournament. You know, you go there with multiple dogs at times and know that you got multiple dogs that can can do it. Um, in this case, you guys think that I got one dog and his name's Yukon, and I'm a kid, and you know, there's no GPS back then. There's no. All I got is a map and a and a few quarters in the truck to call home to my parents and I'm okay. And of course, I tell my parents that it's only an hour away when it's about six hours. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, so my parents, yep, I'm fine. I'm, I, I made it. You know, call them when I'm four hours still to get there and told them I made it, you know, <laughs> earlier than what I've gotten there. So, um, and you go there and he wins. And, you know, the thing about it was at the time he had won so much that um, there was no denying because he had won out of so many different judges. So it wasn't like the same pair of judges constantly saying, yeah, we're going to help this kid out and get him a field champion. It's like everywhere I took him was different judges. And he was winning underneath lots of different eyes, you know. That's so um, cool. So, what do they have yeah, to do to win good. that? How, how does a dog win that? So I ran at the time. There's two divisions in Beagles, and I'll make it short and sweet and simple. They measure them. They actually measure a beagle, and they got the 13-inch class. And they got males and females, 13-inch class, that run on Saturdays. Then they got the 15-inch class, and the males and females run on Sundays. And I ran it. Mine was a 13-inch 13 13-inch male. Now, what they had, it's really cool stuff. And like I said, it's totally all by you guys do. Is, um, they have like 80-acre enclosures that they trapped snowshoe here from the outside, and they brought them in there. Well, there was all trails cut in them, just everywhere, like logging roads. Mm-hmm. And what they would do is they would, you would get in the morning, you have to be there, obviously way before, and you would enter, and they would paint the number on the side of your dog. You have to get a measure, okay, they measured in, and then you'd have to walk over to the paint stand, they paint your number on the dog. Now, when a hare comes across the, the, the trail, there's a judge there writing down what number's first, what number's second, what number's third, what number's, you know, and getting as many numbers as he can that's taken that line um, perfectly. Um, you know, and keeps writing down score of how they're going. Now, let's say that a rabbit comes out and makes a 90-degree turn and the front-end dogs blow over it. Well, they're going to look and see what number recovers that rabbit, turns and makes it what they call a check, you know. Um, and uh, that's basically how you score it. And I just had a real fast-running, hard-hitting dog that was really good on the checks and really good in the front and did it the right way and just impressed a lot of people and made my childhood very memorable. That's super cool. Oh, Yukon. Yeah. In the Beagle Old measuring Yukon, contest. I, yeah, and I, I got to pull up the pictures. On. I got some pictures at my house here downstairs, and I got to get them pulled out because I want to put them up in my in my clubhouse and my hunt club out here and get a picture blowing up of them because it was a big time, good time. That's you know? so cool, man. I've I've hunted over Beagles once, and it I, I think about it every year that I want to do it again, and I don't know anybody. There's so few. It's like, Houndsmen are are almost I hate to say it but like a dying breed man they just 
They're not so sad. Yeah, it is. And and yeah. every guy I know that has beagles is old. It, yeah, and it's it's hard because of the land thing nowadays. You know, everybody's deer nut. In my area, everybody's deer nut. So, uh, you know, everybody's buying 40 acres and think that they're hoarding the deer on the property with their two food plots. Right, you know? right. No, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what's going on in my area. And, 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 and then we actually got a problem with wolves. So it kind of, um, you know, hurt the people that way, that people were getting sick of dogs getting killed by wolves. Oh, so, um, so that's crazy. We actually have a big problem with Wisconsin with wolves, but they're starting to let us control that again now. They just took them off the species list here, so. Um, you know, but yeah, I mean, and, and then the other side of it is, you know, it was harder when we were younger, you know, I mean, if you remember, and I don't know, and a lot of people relate to this, uh, if you've been around it, it's, you know, I had a telemetry tracking system, so every time I didn't know which way the dogs were, I had to pull the pack off my back, and beep, 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 beep. well, just tell me what direction they were, it didn't tell me how far away they were, right, right, you right. know, nowadays, right. nowadays I got the Garmin Alpha TP100 for my pointer, and it could tell me, yep, he's He's 125 yards on point. Right. In yeah. the Crosswoods. You know, the, I mean, it's amazing nowadays. Totally you know? different world now. Totally, totally different. different game now with that type of technology. That's super know? cool, man. So, you, you know, the Beagle started out Yukon, by the way, phenomenal name. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. What a name. That's great. <laughs> um, yeah. And then you got into martial arts and you started to talk about it before I cut you off. So now... You know, how did that begin? Where did that process start? Well, and it kind of goes into the dog training later on because uh, I did martial arts with my dad since I was six years old. That was kind of the gift my dad gave me. I mean, we grew up great. I didn't have a bad childhood. Just, you know, not a lot of extra money on the table. So my dad and I did martial arts together two days a week and still train together today. So, like, we got our black belts together. And then uh, my dad was actually the corner man for my first MMA fight ever um and martial arts just kind of became the thing that we did because my dad's only 18 years apart from me cool um he had me when he was young so uh we get to share a lot of time together which is great and um so then working at a factory and following the family traditions of uh, you get a factory you get health insurance and you know that's what you do the rest of your life and you support a factory in your town for, for the next four years and then you die right <laughs> I mean, it kind of was like you kind of have a, I got in a bad car accident in, in 2000 and that kind of woke me up and said, well, I'm not going to sit in the factory for 40 years and let my life run away. I got aspirations. So it re- realistically, I moved to Madison, Wisconsin, which is two hours south of where I live. I live by Watson, Wisconsin now, which is where I grew up. I moved back here, but I moved out to Madison, Wisconsin with some friends and said, here we go. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm going to open up a martial arts school. I just don't know when it's going to happen. And then it happened about a year and a half after moving there. And then I became, I built it to be the number one adult school in Madison, Wisconsin during my time I owned it. Good for you. What kind of martial arts were like, was your specialty? Yeah, my specialty was Muay Thai kickboxing. I was undefeated in Muay Thai kickboxing in full contact matches uh, with a 6-0 and record. And then I transitioned to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu because I have a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt uh, under Marcelo Montero from Brazil. And then we obviously went to uh, MMA. But my main specialty off of that, of how I got all started, was actually Bruce Lee's Chief and Noel. I'm actually a third-generation Bruce Lee student, which is pretty cool, which many people can't say. That's really cool. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it was 
Dan, Bruce Lee's right-hand man was Dan Anasano, and that was his best friend. Dan Anasano trained my instructor, Paul Bunek, and, and then I and then I got certified under Paul Bunek out of California. But I actually have met Dan Anasano, Bruce Lee's right-hand man and best friend, and, uh, and actually trained with him and trained with, at him, with him at his school in Los Angeles and everything. So it's pretty cool. That is cool, man. It, 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 I would imagine that it's similar to the dog world, and we've talked about this on the show, and, and you'll agree to it, but and, and hence why you're on our show tonight. Like The places that the dogs take us, the people that we meet, right. the experiences we get, I'm sure that's similar in martial arts where it's like, well, I guess we'll go to this tournament, or I guess we'll go out here and try this school for X amount of time, and you just the opportunities and the people and the experiences is, is unbelievable. Yeah, and I think the dog world's a little more genuine than the martial arts world because the martial arts world has a lot more ego, not that the dog world don't. But um, I feel the dog world is a little more compassionate. But, yeah, very much similar, you know, and very much similar. And, you know, another thing we could touch on, and I'm sure you probably want to touch on, is very much similar on that you got to have a curriculum and you got to build students right and you got to have a formula for success, you know. Mm. Yeah. So. And that's kind of where, where dog training became easy for me because I had already been doing that for 13 years in my martial arts school. Sure. You know. Starting with something raw and building it. Right. Right. That's super so cool. So that's, you know. That's super cool. So transition from, you know, martial arts, you're fighting, you're doing your thing, and then you make the decision to move on. How did that come about? Yeah, so at the time I didn't go to college, so I had a business coach, which was pretty neat. What the business coach would just do is basically focus on my business with me two two times a week. Um, vision charts, you know, just get you your bottom line, your budget, just really like just hone in and help you with your business to take it to another level. And one of his vision charts was, you know, where do you want to be in ten years? What do you want to do? How do you want to live? What do you? And you know, I was in the city at the time, and uh, you can't take the country out of a country boy, right? So I. You know, I said, eventually, I want to be back on 40 acres, and I want to be back living in the country, and I want to have some dogs again, and I want to get back to, you know, being in the country because I can't take the city. I, this isn't where I'm meant to be. It's just a phase in life I'm in with this career right now. Um, and so he told me, get your first bird dog. And this is where Yukon is the beagle story, and this is where the first dog was named after my martial arts instructor, Master Toddy, who was my Muay Thai instructor in Las Vegas at the time. So I named my first my first dog, Bolt's Master Toddy. And uh, and his his name was Toddy. He's a big white male. He had a half show pedigree. He wilderness hardly to go like fifth generation in the background. But rocking nose and about 75 pounds, powerful built, pure white, polar bear um, dog. More athletic than a show dog, even though he had it. He had longer longer legs. But, um, but you know, I mean, you get a real reality check when you're all pumped about this dog he's doing great then you want to sort of take him in a hunt test world take him in a tournament world and you know i'll stay there for a minute but and then he's got grade three hip dysplasia you know you find out when he's two years old right. you know so you get shattered immediately on your first dog you know ben um, was my first dog so, yeah and so you kind of you're getting into it and as you know and i'm sure anybody that's going to listen to this knows that you get in the dog world and if you have any other, it's going to happen to you at some point in time. The passion of dogs gets me so much that it gets addicting. And so pretty soon you're starting pedigrees like crazy. And then I just realized that, you know, this could be something I really want to 
I really want to do. And then at the time, the recession was happening in 08. So my martial arts school was a little rocky, and I was like, you know, I'm just kind of going to start doing this dog thing on the side here. And that basically came from the fact that I was, my dog was trained by a pro trainer who was just a gun dog trainer. And I'm sure there's a lot of people with similar situations. You might even have a similar story, but I basically went out to this guy thinking that he knew everything. And he did four sides with dogs because I called him and I'll back up a little bit here. I went to my first bird dog tournament with Toddy. So there's, I'm, I'm just putting birds over him, right? I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm reading what you can and doing what I can. And I got guys at local pheasant hunting clubs helping me. I get referred to a local pheasant club and they're helping me basically gun condition my dog and put pheasants over him. And that's where my passion often came, which leads into bird dog wars that we're getting to. But, um, and so I'm getting helped out. Well, I go up, they said, we think you'd be an MMA fighter and you'd be a competitive guy and being younger. You know, I'm, I'm probably 28, 29 at the time. They're like, you should try this Upland bird dog tournament. Just a local club event. Yeah. Hey, that'd be awesome. I used to run beagles when I was a kid. Hey, I'd like to compete with a dog. Let's do it. Well, not realizing that I have to shoot the birds one shot at a time. My dog has to bring them back to hand. You know, um, you know, I'm kind of just the novice of, you know, go out and shoot. And I may take you three times to get a bird down and not realizing how much is really into it. You know, <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, I go out there. Well, what the guy kind of says to me in the first one I run, he says, man, you got a hell of a dog, but you need force facts. Mm. You know, and of course you're like, what's force facts? Sure. You know, the dog, I'm killing the birds, bring them back. You know, he won't bring them. And he's standing 10 yards from me while the clock's ticking. You know, which I'll talk about some importance of this stuff a little bit later. But, you know, and the clock's ticking, and pretty soon i got to go take a partial, which to kind of step off from you guys. A partial means that the dog didn't bring the bird all the way to me. I have to go over and pick the bird up where he dropped it. Well, the clock automatically moves ahead two and a half minutes when you've got to move to go help the dog get a bird. Oof. So that's just like crazy amount of time. You just get burned, you know. Um, so anyway, I that tournament starts out. I do it. It gets my feet. But while I'm up there, I meet some other guys. So there's another one next weekend, like an hour from where I was at, at a different hunt club. So I want to go down there. So I meet some other people. While I'm down there, guys say the same thing. Hey, man, that dog needs to be force-fetched. Once you learn to shoot better and that dog gets force-fetched, you're going to have, you guys are going to be a hell of a pair. Um, and so I did what any local person would do, right? You Google your pro trainer and, and what's in the area and see if you got somebody that can force-fetch you, you know? And, uh, and so a, a, a kennel came up and he force-fetched him to good and, he got him, and I had him partially. I tried to do it on my own, but as we all know, it's super hard to learn when you don't know what to do. It's still super hard to do, even not super hard to do, but it's, you know, you don't force match every dog the same hardly at all. And so you, so you're kind of like, you go through it against force match. Well, then the trainer kind of made a big mistake. He says, you know what, Mike, the dog's trained now. And if you just come out and help me throw birds, I'll, I'll let you come out here and help me continue training and move forward. Well, that's when I got introduced to blinds. And the first time I saw a blind, you know, I'm sure like most people, probably even yourself. I mean, it's just fascinating, right? Like, I mean, the first time you see one, like, right. no way you can get a dog to do this. Like, I never seen one. I've seen a dog run, and when I look back at it, a basic 75 yards wide, and thought it was the coolest thing I had ever seen in my life. Yep. You know, <laughs> yep. and and was in the upland thing is, you know, fascinating too. But I mean, at the time, right? How can you have this much control? Um, so I started going to the guy, 
And a story that I kind of really want to touch on right now is, and I think this will be helpful to a lot of people, is I got going with this guy, and I actually started realizing as I started studying along with him, and we got to the swim-by. And to cut out, I buy my next dog, Bella, out of Toddy, because, you know, obviously I'm devastated from the hip dysplasia. So I buy a dog, Bella, and I'm going to take her through the whole thing now. I'm going to take this dog. And my goal, at my time at the goal, was just senior hunter. Master's team park fetch. A senior hunter. And I'll just fast forward to the fact that this dog's great. She's doing great. She's going through it, but she worked great. Everything's going good. And we get to the swim-by. You know, this infamous swim-by. You know, um, you know, which nowadays is even more controversial. But we get to the swim-by, and I'm like, the way that he's teaching this dog to do the swim by or that he's teaching me and telling me how to do, he is fighting and eating these dogs up, you know? And my ex-wife actually was with me at the time, and she's like, Mike, we got to train dogs like this. I don't want you doing it. Right. You know? Right. Because you're a martial arts instructor. You, you're smarter than this. There's something not right here, you know? Um, so I got into, you know, a simple pace, simple pace system, and, you know, I give a shout-out to the time who helped me a lot, which is Evan Graham. I mean, he helped me a lot at this stage in the game. And um, and realized at this point now how much this trainer didn't know, thought he knew, you know. Um, sure. And from that point on, like, realized, okay. And then pretty soon him and I kind of got into a tip because, you know, I was training dogs better than he was. But I was willing to evolve because I was younger. I wasn't a – 65-year-old man that thought my, my way was right because I did it the last 20 years. I was willing to evolve like a martial arts instructor to figure out the right way that was the better benefit for the dog. Right. You know? Um, and so at that time, I had referred to people to them. They weren't happy with the results, and they just said, Mike, you want to train? So I just started leasing kennels from them, and then eventually, uh, you know, broke away from him and started doing it on the side, which then eventually pretty much took over to where I was traveling, went to the Master National and all that stuff. You know, and then pretty soon it was like, okay, the martial arts school, going through a divorce always puts you on a sidetrack. So that was always another tough time in life. You know what? I need to just walk away from the martial arts school. I need to walk away from being around. I need to hit the road and much like yourself, get on the master national trail and start meeting people and get my mind up and just hit the road and, uh, you know, try a new uh, lifestyle here and see how this rolls, you know. So what year was that so when you went kind of, professional? I trained my first professional client in 2010, and the whole time I'm learning the tournament game, I never left the tournament game. Cool. You know, in terms of you're wanting to catch up on bird dog wars. Um, so I basically, there was, um, and I'll kind of bridge over to that again, because that's where you're, where we're wanting to lead to this, is that there was a dog, there's Holzinger kennels in, in Minnesota, and I kind of modeled myself after them. Um, you might have heard of them before. He's pretty popular. Uh, Minnesota, but anyway, they had Upland tournament dogs that they ran throughout the winter, and then they had hunt test dogs that they ran in the summer. And as you know, or maybe people don't know, and it's a good thing for people to know, is that you know hunt tests were designed to have to prepare dogs throughout the summer to be ready for hunting. Right. That's what the original design was, right? That we that you know and I know, to, in the off-season, get them ready for the season. Well, tournaments, Upland Bird Dog tournaments, were to extend your pheasant season. So when your pheasant season ended in December, you could Upland Bird Dog tournament hunt until April. 
That's so, awesome. Yeah. So so it became, it still is now, and I'm back to it now because I went down the Hunter's Trail a little too deep for a little while there. Another thing we could touch on later, but um, where, I mean, this would literally be my life. January, I would, you know, I would go out to Texas and train from January until April. I'd come home, we'd do hunt tests all the way until, you know, September. And then we'd instantly switch gears and get ready for the world championships in October. And I'd be doing bird dog tournaments from October all the way until April. And, uh, all the way until, uh, excuse me, until January, or pheasant hunting and, and hunting and pheasant hunting and tournaments until, until January. And then I'd be doing tournaments while, um, while in my off time, you know. Um, so now my season just rolls that five or six months out of the year I'm on upland dogs and five or six months out of the year I'm on, you know, hunt test dogs. And But back to the whole thing, cows I'm bringing, I kind of modeled my business after them because they were very popular producing dogs that were phenomenal upland bird dogs, tournament dog winners, and pheasant hunters and master hunters by the time they were two years old. And that, to me, there was this dog named Raymer's Instant Cash Machine, and you can look him up. He's one of the number one BDC dogs. He was running when I got into it in, like, 06, 07, 08. Uh, he passed away, like, two years ago. Um, he produced a lot of good dogs. Unfortunately, once the EXP came out, he was an EXP carrier, so a lot of people didn't breed him anymore. But um, he was, like, the model. He was a two-year-old master hunter, and he was winning national world championships, and he was a pleasant hunting machine. And up until this point, if you remember, Bob, everybody's telling you, oh, you can't do that. You can't have an upland bird dog if you want to go run hunt test. You can't have an upland bird dog if you want to go run qualifying. There's no way you can do that. you got to wait until you get your master title, and then you can go upland hunt. And by that time, you created such a good bootlicker that you can't get them away from your heel. You know, so, um, and so I kind of, from this point, I've gotten known, and, and realistically, my business is known for, I have produced more national and world upland champions and master hunters combined at two years old than anybody in the country. No so That way. would be kind of my forte. Yeah, there's nobody who's produced as many upland champions and master hunters at two years old than I have. So tell me what it takes to be the upland side of it. I mean, I we talk a lot on this yeah. podcast about master hunters and AKC hunt tests, so I feel right. like we can separate that without diving in, but, sure. but if, if they've already listened enough and know what it takes to do that now, right. educate them on your world or that side of your world and what it means to be that kind of dog. Oh man. I'm so happy you guys are asking these questions because I've been boiling at the seams to get this off my chest of this stuff. Um, yeah. There, okay. Let me start with that. Uh, every, not every dog can be a great upland dog. And let me start with this. Okay, there's a difference between, there's two types of upland dogs, and let me tell you in terms of intelligence. So let's start with this. There's a dog who runs around and smells a bird and thinks it smells good, and he runs over there and he flushes the bird and you shoot it and he brings it back to hand. Okay? So... He's basically hanging out with you, taking a walk. He smells a good scent. He flushes it. He brings it back to you. Okay. Then there's an upland bird dog that we've created who's a bird assassin who the whole time he's running, which is comes from our pointer world, as you know as well. Um, we actually, in the upland world, borrow a lot of pointer tactics for our retrievers. Um, and who is running with birds on their mind. 
You know, they're quartering. You give them a quartering pattern. You teach them how to run lines in the field, which I'll get into a little bit more for the tournament circuit when we get into bird dog words a little uh, deeper. But a dog literally learns how to run lines the same as we would teach them a blind or marking. Okay, and and they're running the field, thinking about birds the whole time, and that dog will stay on the ground all day or until it dies. Okay, mm-hmm. um, so you got to be careful because you can kill that dog. He's genetically gifted, and he's got such a strong mentality that, uh, and and he's athletic. Because I want to get in touch on the genetic side of things, but um, and you can get there. So I think it's so like me owning a hunt club, and I got I'm putting birds up for people, and they come back and tell me how great their dogs. And don't get me wrong, my hunt club's all about the dogs. I want to hear the dog stories because I want to hear people be excited about their dogs because that's what we do as trainers, right? But I think there's very much a fallacy across this whole United States of what a good upland dog is. Um, and fit to the flush definitely isn't it. But I'll, uh, you know, we'll, I can touch on more of that stuff. So going on, kind of just diving into it right away, I want to create a dog that is a bird assassin that all it thinks about is birds on its mind. And then I need that same dog to go out there with so much power and be so accurate with his bird finding ability that I can win ten thousand dollars this weekend and come home, you know, with after mastery fees eight thousand dollars richer. Right. Because bird dog wars is a is a rodeo circuit for bird dogs. So, so for you guys that want to understand, I keep saying bird dog wars with BDC, but we'll just use the phrase bird dog wars, which you can find on YouTube, by the way. Um, you sixty or forty percent of the um entry fee goes back into a payout just like a rodeo and throughout the year there's the database is holding your points of what you're doing so you're trying to get your points built up to get to the dog of the year runoff which happens in nationals in march so like like i'm building up for march right now and i got in the dog of year runoff with journey you know um but my points accumulated for the 2020 season so the national cup is going to say national 2020 champion because it was the 2020 season that i qualified that dog in okay you know if that makes sense you know like the cup even though i want even though if i win it this year or when i win it this year in 2021 it'll actually be the 2020 national champion because Because next fall it it starts over yep well it actually starts over january 1st so our season started over right now for 2021 right now but our end of our season is march after the year is over you know that's our national championship okay does that make sense to you yeah uh kevin that makes sense to you too or no, no so I'm, wait a minute no bob's not a no. math guy no I'm tra- dude Again. it started last year it's like in some sports it's the 2021 season or whatever but they just they can't write so many damn numbers on the plaque so they're just this is a 20 season so like you're doing it for 2020 <laughs> And then in March is the championship. Right. But even in January 1st, 2021, you're starting to accumulate points for 2021. So they don't go towards the championship in March. It rolls over. Yeah, but it'll it'll go. So I'll try to explain a little bit easier is that March is the finale of the 2020 season. So I'm going to win the national, the 2020 national championship, but I'm actually going to win it in 2021. Right. Yeah, but but, but starting January first. Yep, it starts for twenty twenty two national. Okay, all right, I'm with you. I, I, I think, got you guys. Yeah, 
No, I'm with you. You're a little baffled, but yeah. I'm with you. you know, I understand. Instead of, it being, instead of the national championship being December 31st, you know, you got to get accumulate the points all the way till December 31st. Then they give you two months to put everything together and, then and organize the national championship two months. And then you go compete to be the 2020 national champion. I'm with you. And the 2020 dog of the year. Yeah. So how that. many how many of these are going on? Like we don't I, do we have them in New York? I've never even heard of one in New York. Do we have them in Ohio? Do you have, have it. Yeah, you have the you have the New York Bird Dog Series, what you guys used to have. Um, actually, uh, there's a very popular. See, some associations will cold sanction. So basically, there's like three big tournament organizations in the United States, and um, BDC was the most popular because it had a TV show following it. Um, then there's called UFTA, which is United Field Trailers Association, which is still a tournament association. Um, and then you got NUC, which is uh, National Upland Classic Series. Um, all of them have their own national. All of them have their own thing. But NUC and UFTA were a derivative of BDC. BDC was the leader in the oldest running tournament hunting organization. Okay. So, yes. They're out in New York. They're in Lower Michigan. They're in Ohio. They're in North Carolina, South Carolina. How do people but find BDC them to enter is, them? I go right on the uh, National Bird Dog Circuit website. Okay. And you go around right there and find all the events. They list the events for the whole year. Heck yeah. Um, so, and, and that's kind of, you know, that, and they can, you can organize events within 21 days to kind of keep watching it because, you know, sometimes you'll, I run an event here at my hunt club and on my place the second weekend of September every year, a big, one of the biggest ones. So to explain this a little more to all you guys, you guys and everybody else listening, is the BDC has what's called super majors. And super majors is basically there's five big tournaments a, work, a year. And those five big tournaments a year are the biggest point tournaments. So you could basically, the easiest way to describe them would be regionals. So go to the regional tournaments and get bigger points um, to get you to that end of the year runoff that you're looking to get to, you know? Okay. Um, each one of those comes with their own championship cup and each one of those comes with their own, with their own big payout. Now the number one biggest tournament of the season is the national championship. And that's where you'll see all the best players and, and dogs in the country. And where is that hosted, or does it change? This year, this year it'll be at a beautiful place in uh, Palmer, Kansas, called uh, Scattered Acres. They do a phenomenal job there. Um, it's just an uh, hour and a half southwest of, uh, of Kansas City. Okay. So, and they keep it kind of centrally located because pe- people come from Nevada, California, Texas, you know, like your side is Ohio, New York, Wisconsin, Minnesota, South Dakota. You know, I mean, it, it, I mean, people come from around the world. I mean, when people come to my tournament, some people are driving 30 hours to get here. Holy you know? crap. Um, yeah, so it's a lot bigger than what what you, what you the viewers or what you guys would know it is. It's a lot bigger. I want in, dude. I, I feel I, like I, I'm I a little am, hurt uh, that we didn't get a phone call. I know. I'm I'm like six to midnight right now. <laughs> but, <laughs> like we're there. We got to go. And, and you guys, <laughs> I was telling you, man, there's no adrenaline like it. I mean, you got. And here's the thing that's so cool. You know, what I mean, we're we're talking about bird dog tournaments, and and there's so much I could describe about it. But one of the 
of the other cool things is, you know, you know how hunt fests are, right? Like me and you, you're there in New York. You're, you come from New York. You're from you're in Wisconsin. Nobody's really talking to you. They don't know who you are. They see your plates. I come rolling up. I'm back in India. Hey, what's up, buddy? Oh, hey, me and you strike a conversation. That's the reason why we're talking tonight, right? Correct. Well, I'm just used to that because of Upland Bird Doctor. That's just the way I am. Like, that's how everybody is. It's like, I'm going to take your money today, Bob. But hey, tonight, let's have a beer and talk about how I took your money and how maybe next time you can try to take mine. <laughs> I love it. I love you know? it. And that's how cool it is. It's not, it's not a, I'm a better trainer than you. I'm a better player than you. And there's a few of those guys, but you know, so what? That's everywhere. You know, um, in general, like at the national championship that's coming up, it's such a cool gathering because by day we're like, we're going to win this. I'm getting to the finals. And by night, you're all at the bar inside the hunt club talking about how your runs went and supporting each other and what's next and what's going on tomorrow. And and the national championship is really cool because it's a different tournament every day. Like Journey qualified this year to be in the dog of the year runoff, and we do that on Monday. Um, and then Tuesday, the under the two-year-old puppies run to try to get to the finals on Friday. Then Wednesdays is the doubles. Now the doubles is you and Kevin run against with the dogs. My double partner is probably the number one player in the country, and his name's Tim Samuelson. You'll hear me mention him a lot. Um, and so yeah, but that's and before. But that's before we've come out and 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 had a go at it. That's like you're saying he's a current, right? Yeah, we're we're like yeah, we're, we're the underdogs. Exactly, we're coming in you hot. Just wait, baby, 2022, baby. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and you guys just get you guys just get out here to one of my seminars this summer, and I'll show you how to beat me, and good luck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Down for a good time. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, I mean, seriously, I mean, I, I'm like the only guy in the country that teaches people about this game with the seminars that I play. That's cool. You know, everybody so, else is trying to keep the secret to themselves. Nah, yeah, you can't. That's why we do the podcast. So yeah, uh, on exactly. doubles, it's like you got a shooter, you and the dog, or it's two dogs working together with two dudes? Nope. Uh, one dog. And two, two guys. So, and I'm going to tell you, here's another training tactic that most people don't, don't do. So, I'm just going to try to get this to, to, to go in your head, see if you guys can hang with me on this ride. So, we take off from the gate, which the gate is where we start. And as soon as we leave the gate, the clock starts, okay? Um, and let me give you a real fast rundown. When we shoot a bird, we have to stand still with one basketball step. we got to leave one foot planted and take the retreat. We cannot advance on a dog after we shoot. Once we shoot, our one foot needs to remain planted. All right? Um, if we shoot, when we shoot, it needs to be one shot per bird. If we shoot two shots to kill the bird, the clock jumps forward two and a half minutes. Oh. All right, first shot. So I'm definitely not bringing right. Kevin. 100% so not bringing Kevin. <laughs> So you develop, so going back to the double thing, and then the clock stops when the last bird's in hand. All right? So the clock starts when we leave the gate. clock starts when the last bird's in hand. So you get, you got a partner, and you develop this, you know, chemistry between you two of knowing the field, dissecting it together with one dog and handing the dog off over to him now. Now he's dissecting his side of the field. And then there's a the time to hand the dog off to me, and I got to dissect my side of the field until we got five birds in a bag in the fastest time possible. That's right. Preferably one shot each, you know. How and long is this? That, like 10 minutes, 20 minutes, half hour, an hour? Well, we we want to be, okay, you got 15 minutes in the field as your time and probably a five to 10 acre field. But we want to be done and preferably a minute a bird is our goal. 
a minute a bird, we want to be done it. Um, so five minutes is kind of a thing, but I mean, we've already had to run, um, to kind of give you a, a funny story is, you know, last year at, at the Nationals, we're, 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 the other thing is it's organized in brackets, okay? They put five dogs in a bracket with, in, with your partners, and they take one dog out of the bracket to go to the final in, in, in doubles. So a guy, a team had went out and put a very impressive 401, okay? Um, very hard to beat. They, they smoked the field. They, the dog bounced perfectly. Everything went great. Well, I, we had journey up next, and I said to my partner, Tim, I said, well, it's not a better time than now to have the best dog that I got on the trailer to go go do this right now and we went out and put up a 326 and smoked them and got in the final are you jogging you know? um are you jogging no man and people people's eyes were just lined up they couldn't even believe we did it because they thought a 401 was impossible to beat and we came and just smoked them by like you know 30 some seconds now you think 30 seconds is nothing but it actually when i talk to you at the, about the sport a little more later it's huge you know right. um yep so anyway i mean like i was saying that's how intense it gets when you're talking about like a 30 second difference when people think that they got it down. And I mean, literally you're always under the radar of you never safe in the game. There's always a team that can do well. It's so highly competitive. But one of the coolest training tactics that we train a dog in this thing to save time. And so I'm going to try to get you guys to hang with me. We're, we got a strategy, right? So I want him to be down to the middle of the field by the time I shoot the first bird. So whoever's dog it is, if it's my dog, and we'll just use Journey for an example, I'm going to shoot the gate bird. And what the gate means is bird means it's the bird that's straight out in front of us, probably within 50 yards. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to walk on and shoot the first bird to get us started. And I want him to try to get as far as he can, because when I shoot, he has to stop as well, right? Mm-hmm. And then he can't advance until I get to reach or he gets retrieved. Well, what I want him to do is, is I'm working a dog into the wind and putting him in the right direction, and the bird's getting up, and I'm shooting all that time. I want him to march to get as close as he can to the middle of the field because you got a front zone, a middle zone, and a back zone. So you're going to have one bird in the front, you have two birds in the middle of the field, and you're going to have two birds in the back. Right? Gotcha. And so I want to send him as far as he can get to the middle. So picture this, right? The bird goes up, I shoot it. All right? Well, in a normal scenario, the dog brings the bird back to me. Right? Yeah. Well, that wastes too much time. That's 10 seconds of wasted time for that dog to get to him to advance. Do you cast so into that a bird, guy? Boom. When I shoot a bird, as soon as that dog's mouth hits the bird, he starts pulling the whistle and the dog wheels straight over to him up the field. Right? Hell yeah, that's and, smart. And, 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 it's, and it's an awesome thing and it's a beautiful thing. So he's already close to the middle of the zone and working and he's probably shooting a bird before in the middle before I even get to the middle, right? Uh-huh. Okay. And then I'm going to march up to, towards the middle and go to, let's just say, the middle left of the field, right? Bam, he shoots the bird, I stop. Well, he's going to hang on to the dog and check the middle zone to see if the birds are. By that time, I've come up and I've met him, and he's going to hand the dog off to me and head to the back. Right. Now, I'm going to sweep the, right, the left side of the field. Boom, I'm going to shoot. He's going to be standing between the middle and back zone. He's going to call the dog, and he's already going to be working to the, to the back. So he's already going to kill. He's going to go back there. Boom, he's going to kill a bird. And because of plant cards and stuff, um, we probably know where our last bird is based on the strategy of the plant guard. Mm-hmm. So, uh, he's going to go and either, I'm either going to come in and back him up because I'm behind him, or I'm going to meet him and he's going to hand the dog off to the last bird and I'm going to kill what's called the money bird. And then time, and then we're going to see what our time is to see if it was good enough. So you're basically you know? playing leapfrog. Right. 
And who developed that first strategy that like everybody's doing in 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 10 minutes, you know, nine minutes and a half. And then all of a sudden some joker and his teammate are like, four minutes, suckers. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, now now you're talking a whole nother wide, uh, wide answer, but genetics, player strategy, field management and win, you know. Um, genetics kind of for like I'll the people about. shooting because <laughs> Kevin and I share the same genetics but I promise you we don't share the same shooting <laughs> yeah. that, could be, that could totally be it too there's definitely uh, you know a shooting thing that we could touch on too but there um, you know genetics in the dogs yeah. you want a very fast dog who's got a big nose ambitable you know? to be able to work with your teammate oh, yeah. now you I would have strategized it like if it was Kevin and I. Kevin can't just come out that weekend, live two hours away from me, and like he and I show up and do it. It has to be like a teammate that can come over several days a week, work the dog, dog trusts that person, it listens to them implicitly like they do to me. That's why I mean we have a very similar voice. It is true. This is we could win this sucker. (laughs) We could be. Yeah. How much time do we have to be? Way too obsessed over it. One year. That's plenty of time to obsess over something. One year. Yeah. January just started. We could we could drive right now. To <laughs> live out west. We'll live out west for a year. You can do that. We'll build a yep. team. Kevin's having a baby soon, so we'll just forget that like, thing. Mm. It won't even remember him. It's not even going to remember him for a year. So we'll take a year <laughs> off sabbatical. sabbatical, and we'll do this. Right. Is there a right. cash prize? That's- yeah, he said cash prize. Yeah, but like, yep, big money, worth it. You gotta hit the, you gotta hit the uh, ones with cash. Yeah, oh, right. <laughs> I love it. Dude. I can coach you along the way. You, I mean, basically, that was kind of our dream when we were younger. You know, as a, you know how every kid has the cowboy dream of going out and rodeoing and traveling from city to city and winning buckles and money. Oh yeah, it's kind of this with bird dogs. It's sweet. <laughs> you know, it's cool. I mean, feel like I'm a cowboy some days. Waking up, pulling my dog trailer, which is you know my sim, my pseudo horse trailer. I got my gun, which is my pseudo lever action thirty thirty. That's so cool, dude. I mean, like I'm a modern day cowboy with my bird dogs rolling the country and taking people's money and rolling in and you know being the sheriff of the town. That's so cool. cool. What uh, what do you shoot while you're doing this? Personally, I have a Browning Synergy, is mine, oh. and um, I actually modified my gun. Um, a lot of people. That's the other thing too is. You know, you can't be afraid to step outside the box. I personally and us personally have always shot our top barrel first because we because we don't ever want to shoot a bird twice, right? I mean, there's times that we have to do it because it just presented a hard shot and see where our cards fall. But in general, we want to do it. So I personally shoot my, my top barrel first. So I actually have my gun. I actually had a situation where, you know, when you guys got, when you got over unders, you can actually push your safety up and it goes in between barrels and it don't fire. Right. Um, and I've done that at tournaments and it cost me championship wins. Um, so I actually took mine to a gunsmith that my gun cannot fire. Uh, what barrel only fires the top barrel first. I shoot a Browning Um, Satori. That's, that's my every gun, duck, everything. Yep. That's all I shoot. And, uh, I've had it cost me a duck or two where you push forward. And, and now when I first, especially when I first got it where you're getting used to the whole thing, 
but now it's almost muscle memory as I'm clicking the safety off. It's like I'm pushing my, my energy is over then up just to make sure that it's all the way. Right. Over. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yep. That's one last thing you want to think about in a bird dog tournament when the money's on the line. Oh yeah. You pull up and all of a sudden the gun don't fire and it's like, so mine's been modified, but, uh, I like the synergy. I'm really high right now on the 828, the Benelli 828. I'm going to, I'm probably going to switch over the summer to 828, but I'm not going to switch over guns until the off season yeah. and, you know, be able to shoot it, practice with it all summer. I mean, at my facility, we train upland dogs and waterfall and hunt test dogs all year round. So it's kind of neat at my place. I don't ever get bored because I got a team of waterfall dogs. I'm working at a team of upland dogs. I'm working. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, super cool. So it's, so it's cool. I don't, I, I don't just have a hunt test all summer and, you know, um, so it's kind of, that's what's kind of fun about my place. And then, you know, I, it's cool too, because back to the people thing, like, you know, I go to hunt this world and meet a lot of people like you and I've been in the master national twice and met everybody around the country, all the top trainers and trained with a bunch of them and had a good time, went to seminars and then boom, shut the hunt test world off and go and know every single good upland bird dog player in the country, you know? So kind of like what you were saying the other day, I mean, I think pretty much every state in pretty much in the lower 48 here, I think I'd have a place to sleep on somebody's couch in every one of them. Yeah. If I needed one. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's neat. So it's pretty sweet. So let's talk about yeah. the, the training of this dog and, like you said, it's genetics and, and the training. How are you developing? Well, all right. I want to talk on that. But then I also want to talk about, like, yep, for sure. yeah, the dog quarters of field. What else does it have to sit to a flush? Does it have to like? Do you release a dog? Like, if you you, I'm assuming have either run NAVDA or no NAVDA, the North American Versatile yeah. Hunting Dog Association, where like yep. you can send the dog, but then you can't talk to them until they deliver. Like, are there rules like that where right. it's super strict on obedience and this and that, and, or is it like no holds barred, do it as fast as you can, least amount of flaws, or they add time? Like, how is the what are the rules like, and how do you develop a dog? Yeah, the latter, just what you said. There's rules, no holds barred, get them done as fast as you can with limited obedience. So, with that being said, let's start from the beginning. I never teach a dog to heal um, until it's probably, let's put it this way, all dogs go through force facts without knowing what heal is. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, if I, so, to kind of give you an inside view, like I'm building up a female right now, my next female, she's six months old, right? So her whole beginning life is about teaching her quartering patterns. And I can get into details of that a little bit more, but let's just keep with that for right now. For people to understand quartering, I basically want the dog to run in front of me from 10 o'clock to 2 o'clock um, at about a 20-yard space in front of me. And I wanted them to turn, when they get about 10 o'clock in front of me, I want them to turn and go 2 o'clock and keep using the wind is what I want to do with quartering. But I want them to quarter and learn that the only thing in life that you need to know right now at four months old, well, actually already at 12 weeks old, but let's say four months old is when I really get serious with them, is I want to sh- I want to get them gun conditioned at four months old, and I want to shoot about 25 to 50 birds for them at four months old. I want them already, by the time they're five months old, to be a ripping little bird machine. Um, you using chuckers? And at that point, using chuckers. Yep. And at that point, I, I, I'm going to, realize what kind of nose I got, which is back to genetics, right? Um, and I'm going to realize what kind of nose I got. Do I got a hotter nose dog? Do I got a cooler nose dog? Do I got a nose, that, a nose that's too far on the ground? Do I got a nose that, that's head high? What kind of nose do I got? 
you know, do I got a pointing lab? You know, you got that mixed in here now. Um, so I kind of get all that, you know, going now, obviously whatever happens with the retrieve on live birds, because they're seeing more live birds than anything. Um, you know, now at this point, you know, they're probably not bringing it back. They're, they're playing the keep away game and I got a check cord on them while I'm doing this so I can reel them in, but they're, you know, they're messing around with it on the way back. And so now it's time to quit the bird side because they're five and a half, six months old. Okay. Now let's get the here command and the hold command and the fetch command. And let's get all three of those things together and make sure that you know how to deliver properly to hand. Right. Yep. Um, and then I'm going to get you delivering a bird. I'm going to do some breaking marks. I'm going to let the guys whip frozen chuckers, and I want the dog to get back to me. And I'm actually going to create the here command with a, with the collar to, and I'm going to fast forward to this, the national champion, to where I'm going to nick the dog all the way back to me with the bird in the mouth. Um, post I want that fetch. dog to come back to me. Post-force fetch. Right. I want that dog to come back to me so fast that all it thinks about when that bird gets in is the faster it gets to me, the better. Right. You know? Um, and... And here's why. And I'm just going to jump over to the story. My best friend and I put, we can run four dogs each. This last national championship since uh, this last year in March, a year ago, right, we put three each in. So we had six of the ten dogs in final. Now, mind you, we can't talk to each other. They can separate us. So we did it on our own to get there, right? Um, he won it with a 401. And I want, I got second place with a 402. Third place was a 410. Fourth place was a 422. And fifth place was a 447. They were all within 47 seconds of each other. Right. So now tell me how important it is that that dog's coming back on that retreat. Every second counts, you know. Oh, literally. Um, so literally I'm already one teaching that. Literally one second I lost by. Now that can be him just fumbling the bird for one second. You know, I mean, um, it can be anything, but I mean, it, you literally don't. Now, if you think about it in five birds, you got to get, and let's say they mess up, uh, they mess around with a bird for three seconds per bird. That's 15 seconds. Well, I just took fourth place. Right, 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 right. You yeah. know what I mean? So, I mean, I need to put it in that perspective to understand how important the so training they, of a. These dogs uh, need to be laser bird. marking the downed bird. They can't go and hunt for the down bird. It's shot on it, deliver, go to the next guy, shot on it, deliver. Yep. The, so how are, so are they not sitting to a flush? Okay. So yeah, back to that uh, question. Absolutely not. No. So yeah, that's helpful. Yeah. So you, so you're not sitting flush. There's no standard of how the bird, how the dog gets it. So let's just say a dog goes in and grabs the bird, right? Traps it. And, and then they just bring it to you immediately. You just got a word at all points. You didn't have to shoot that bird. You just got a word. Good deal. You know, well, that's good because a so lot of these pen raised birds and stuff, I'm sure right. that happens. That happens. Right. So now let's say the times are, I'm just giving our scenario. The times are fast. So now I'm going to give you a higher level training. So, you know, back to the, to where I was at with the puppy, I'm telling you how I'm training a puppy. Like I'm, her name's whisper right now. Um, and, uh, you know, another dog I want to mention or maybe talk about a little more later that hopefully we can bring up is my dog, Winnie. She's a two-time national world champion, two-time national champion um, in two different organizations. She's a uh, past the master national two times. She has qualifying thirds and some jams. 
and she was a master hunter before she was two, and probably the youngest senior pastor ever was. She had a senior pastor seven months, three weeks. Holy crap! Um, so, so this dog is phenomenal. She's been the she's the brood nation of my place, and this is the last female puppy born out of her. This is the last litter out of her, and she only had one female. And this is the dog I'm talking about training right now. She's cool. my last opportunity to make another witch. So I call her Whisper, um, the blast best kept secret, and I call her Whisper, and uh, she's my next one coming up. So I'm just kind of explaining you what I'm doing with Whisper right now. She's six months old. She's going through force fetching. When she's done with force fetch, I'm going to go right back to quartering and putting birds off for her, but now I'm going to start putting them in what would be a tournament set. Um, I'm going to start teaching her the game, you know? Mm-hmm. Um I'm not going to teach her to hunt yet. I don't really want her to hunt. I want her to learn how to go to bird to bird to bird, right. how to shoot all away from me. So, so let's talk about lines for a second. Remember I was telling you about running lines and blinds and just like you guys are used to hearing on these, on your show a lot, yep. or on your podcast a lot. So people don't understand this in the open world, but you understand it because you want an English setter. I understand it because I want an English pointer. And, and if you read a lot of pointer books, they send a dog on a line, right, to check objectives. And pointers that run field trials and horseback and stuff, they're, they're, they run a line. They talk about the dogs running a line. And they don't want the dog to derive from that line until it's checking an objective. And they want to watch it, its pattern of running them lines across those. And, you know, in them cases, it's very long. So I want the dog to shoot out. And I don't want the dog to quarter until I tweak my whistle twice. So when I'm leaving the gate, I want them to run a straight out line. Because I know the gate bird's going to be 40 to 50 yards, right? Straight ahead. And the wind's going right they, to left. Picture it, they don't put it that? anywhere. Is it? Do they put the birds in the same spot in the field? Or, like, you don't know where they are? Okay, you draw a plant card. And the plant card will tell the plants there are different areas to put them in the field. But in the same general zone, okay? Right. They got what's Front, called a gimme gate bird. Right. They got what's called a gimme gate bird, basically. And that means your gate bird's probably going to be within a 10 to 20 yard circle for everybody. So go out there, get successful on a gate, and continue on. Um, so you so you know that the gate bird's about 40 yards straight out in front of you. So I want, when I say hunt them up, I want this dog to take a line just like a blind and run 40 yards. The wind's coming right to left. I want him to be running an angle at like 11 o'clock. For 40 yards, and when I tweet the whistle, come into the scent cone, depending on where the wind is, put that bird up, and I'm going to meet him at the bird coming forward at the same time he's coming to the scent cone, and I'm going to shoot that bird in about 21 seconds. Okay. You know, um, that's how I'm going to start this race off. Um, and then, and I'm going to talk about singles now, not doubles now. We kind of already touched on doubles. Yep. Now, the, 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 the wind's right to left. Okay, i got to go and get to the middle of the field. So as soon as I... As soon as that dog screams that bird back to me and hands it off, I want him to shoot at 11 o'clock again towards the left side of the field and run out there until I blow the whistle. I might send him on a 75-yard line to get there to see if he hits it on the way down. You know, um, And then, now, why would I send him a 75-yard? People that know my game would be like, Vaughn's crazy for sending him on a 75-yard line because he's out of range, and if he pops the bird, I have no prayer of hitting it, right? right. But it's going to go to another thing to our training. Now, all of a sudden, Bob, our hunt test, our, our hunt test training is huge because when that dog's ears go out and turns, I instantly pull the sit whistle. And so the dog is staring at the bird. It's five yards away from the bird staring at it. Oh, and then God. I come up and say his name. I come up and say his name just like a, 
just like a retrieve, and he flushes the bird, and I dump it. You know, ultimate control. So I can ultimate control, ultimate range control, ultimate line control, and I can check. Like, just try to try to hang with me, right? If I want to clear out the left side of the field, I can be in the center of the of the field and let him work left and come to me and check the center and then check the right. And I can send him on a line down there, and if he turns birdie, I can whistle set him and walk over there and shoot it. If he doesn't turn birdie, I can bring him to me and not waste any time, let him clear the whole zone out to me. So I didn't walk over to the left hunt, walk to the center of the field hunt, walk to the right of the field hunt. I let him figure out, I let him show me whether there's a bird there or not. Right. That you makes know? complete sense. And then, if he, and then if he shows me there's a bird there and I'm out of range, I pull the whistle stick. Boom. Right? And I walk over there and kill it. Then I come to the center field and hunt. Because, just to have an idea, when we go to the middle of the field, you can have a center or a left center bird, a center right bird, or a split center, left and right side of the field. Mm-hmm. That's what you can have, right? So I'm going to come and see if I got a left bird. If I don't have a left bird, I got to come to the center and let them hunt the center field. If I hit a center, I most likely got a right, and then I'm going to move down the field, right? Right. Um. So that's how we're going to play it. So I'm actually going to look at the middle as three boxes, three zones, one, two, three across the middle, and then I'm going to look at the back as one, two, three. And there's going to be a bird. There's going to be a bird in two of those three. Okay, that's how I'm looking at the field as I'm going down. I'm using the wind, the dog's athleticism, and ultimate control to make that as fast as possible, and then my expert shooting to make it roll as fast as possible. You know. So on a singles, so, how, how fast is that? In essence. Well, I won the. Well, like I told you, uh, four hundred one, four hundred two, four. Oh, okay. I thought I thought, I thought that was doubles, or it's the same with doubles. Like no, it's just was, very consistent. Yeah, when I said my partner, he was running singles, and I was running singles, and he had three in the finals, and I had three in the finals. Wow. We're only allowed to, we're only allowed to run four dogs. Okay. And um, that, that particular year, well, which was last year, he put three of his four dogs in the finals, and I put three of my four dogs in the finals. So, so as, a, as, as partners, as friends, we had six of the ten dogs in the finals. Now, here's a little caveat to kind of give you guys a, a better understanding. Him and I split the money we always had. So when what? we were younger Yeah. So when him and I were younger and we couldn't afford to run these tournaments because the entry fees were high, we went there splitting entry fees and splitting the payout. That way we could afford to go to it. That's cool, man. That's really cool, yeah. actually. That's, that's how we did it. So like, I'll tell you a funny story. I mean, I really want to share the story because it's a, and we were just talking about because him and I just hunted a weekend ago. Just got together and hunted and drink too many drinks. But anyway, they uh, we uh, we there was a time it was like March and the championship was coming. From Mike, I don't think I'm gonna go to the nationals. And so he called me like February. I said, "Why, man?" He's like, "Dude, I, I just don't have the money." He's like, "I ain't gonna have the money until I get my tax return back. I just I just got to do the right thing and be an adult." I said, "Well, your entry fee is gonna be eight hundred, and I got extra eight hundred, so I'll." I'll I'll give you the 800. You're going. You just pay me back when you get your tax refund back. <laughs> That's how we roll, man. That's when you talk about rodeo circuit, yep. you know, where you're trying to get money to get in the car to go to the next rodeo. I mean, that's literally what we did. That's so cool. You know, I mean, there was there was times that we signed the check, both of him and I. I mean, I still talk about it. We signed the check and said, 
we really don't have the money to cover this check that we're putting in. So, hey, buddy, let's uh, make sure we go to bed a little earlier and not stay out hanging out with these guys too late. Let's make sure we put some money in. All we were happy is if we covered that check. Anything above that check was important. That's so cool, dude. <laughs> That's so cool. So, it, and we've been doing that. And he was my number one MMA fighter, so we had already had a bond in the, in the fighting world. And, and we just transposed our adrenaline of MMA fighting into the bird dog world. But literally, we lived the, the life of a rodeo circuit. And then he started his own trucking company, and now he's got his own excavating business. You know, I'm running dog trading, and you know how well you're going through it right now. You know how fast building a new facility can suck every time you got. So, yep. you know, it's like, well, I should really, you know, steal off this wall a little bit more. But I got $2,800 in extra fees. I should really stay home because the $2,800 is steal off the wall. But no, you know what? I'm going to go gamble, and hopefully we can make it up. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> so cool. That's so cool. Yeah. So when you're talking genetics, let's take a second because uh, we've been doing our best on the, the podcast to educate people on genetics and, and the importance of pedigree and what to look for. What And we've talked with like Lyle Steinman on his big thing is uh, old blood, quote unquote, old blood right. and right. and who those dogs are in that old blood. And, uh, you know, I know th- certain lines that I like. And what I've seen in training X number of dogs out of that sire or or whatever. Great marking, but, man, they're finicky with pressure or whatever the case may be. Right. Um, right. I know that. I'm into this like you. I love it. Just so, get to geek out. yeah. So, what what are what are the lines? Where Who are, like, the names that are nationally known? Or maybe they're not. Maybe they're... Smaller names, but man, you just know they got a nose and they got speed and they're a team player and they're not NFCs. They're Grand Hunting Retriever champions that put out bad to the bone flushing dogs. Like, what what do you work off of and what have you found and, and talk about that? Yeah, great. Um, two or three dogs come to mind, um, but there was this dog that I'm going to mention first. And when we were in the game, it seemed like every dog that was winning to start with was out of uh, um, grits. And he was very known out west. And it was like fair grits. And it was like a pointing lab title or a pointing lab out of um, like a, what's it called? a fair point kennel in uh, Wyoming. And these were like the guys that were in pointing labs 30 years ago before it's even popular nowadays, right? Right. And and they called the dog named Grit. Uh, Grits of Bear Forest. That's what it is. Or, Are you saying Grits gr- of Black Forest? Grits or Grizz, like a grizzly bear? No, Grits like the southern food. Oh, yeah. Um, love me some cheese grits. <laughs> oh, my God. I think it's so horrible. But you guys. <laughs> Come on, man. I live but, in the uh, south part of the town. Oh, uh, man. I, the, no, southern lifestyle of Grits, man. I just can't get into it. But I. Uh, but I do love a lot of other things about stuff. But they are. So it's Chris the Black Forest. He wasn't coming in and now it just came to me. And he was from out west. And, like, he made a lot of pointing lab dogs. And um, I think he was only a senior hunter. But the people out there didn't care because, you know, out in the west, meaning Wyoming, South Dakota, you know, Montana, all, them, all they care about is the pheasant dogs, a lot of them. You know, um, so this was the dog that seemed to produce out there the best pheasant dogs. In Minnesota, there was a dog called Rick's Risky Raider. 
Um, and that dog was also in our pointing lab, and he had produced some of the best tournament hunting dogs in Minnesota that were very uh, popular um, in that style, which that dog was also in the back of this cash dog that I told you about, Remerton's and Cash Machine, that I saw at the beginning of my career. Um, and then you fast forward to my line, and a lot of people don't know this dog, or maybe you do, but um, if you ever heard of a kennel in Minnesota called Torx Lab, um, yeah, Torx did a lot. Torx did a lot of the fox reds, and you know I have a niche in the fox reds right now with Journey and Cowboy. But um, they had a dog in there called uh, White Oaks um, Stony Berkey, um, and his name was Stony, and uh, he's he's dead now. And he produced a lot of dogs, and he was qualified all age master hunter. I don't think Torx Lab even knows this. I'm kind of um, telling them something they probably don't even know. But Stony puppies from the early, uh, you know, 10 and on, 2010 and on, um, really would show up. And I can almost pick you out a Stony puppy. So Winnie is a Stony uh, granddaughter. Cool. And I can almost pick you out a Stony um, dog. And, and, and then on the so on Winnie's top side, she has Concerto Charlie as her, as her uh, grandsire on that. So Winnie was out of a master hunter out of Concerto Charlie. And out of a female that was out of Stony. But if you really go back and look at some of the dogs out of my kennel, you'll almost find Stony in every single one of my pedigrees. You know? No um, way. And I believe that's where it came from. I, I don't, I, you know, it can be my own hypothesis of how, that, how it's going. But, um, and the thing about it is, like, I was standing one day at a national championship, the puppy championship, and this dog came walking by me, and they're about to run him, and he goes out and smokes a really good run. And I'm standing there, I'm sitting in my truck, and you know, I'm a geek in genetics like you are yourself. And I geek out. And I, I roll the window down. I say, hey, that dog got a stony. He says, I don't know. I says, go see if you can find a pedigree on your phone and bring your phone back over here. Sure as crap. Straight out of stony. I picked it right out of the crowd. No way. I mean, it just Yeah, just because I know, like, the way a stony, a stony's ground pattern, a stony's head, a stony's nose, I can kind of just see it. Yeah. Um, all together. Um. So there was that dog. Um, and now, basically now, you got my genetics. I believe in an FCAFC pedigree, but I believe in an FCAFC pedigree that has upland um, proven genetics in their background. So I'm not interested in an FCAFC that's never fed a of them. I'm not interested in that. You know, I, I want to know. Did you ever present hunt this in your off season? Well, you already know from past conversations with everybody on this podcast, oh, my God, don't ever upland hunt a dog. But some of the best field champions in their off season, their owners would take them home and go take a present hunt. And that's the dogs I want to know about. I want to know about that. Well, what's you interesting, um, so can I digress for a second? Yeah, for sure. All right, for so, sure. so Master National, right? right. Uh, up until this year, they always threw – flyer pheasants on land right. and, and mallard duck flyers on on uh, water, right? Right. Do you know how many dogs that I trained with when I lived in South Carolina training that were preparing for Master National that their entire life, all they got were mallard ducks? That's all that we're throwing. Or, you know, right. hey, we killed some wood ducks, we killed some ring nests, and they got this mixed bag their entire life of retrieving ducks and training with ducks. You throw them a pheasant, right. flyer pheasant, and it lands, boom, right there. 
They just can't find it. They're nope. walking all over it. And yep. then you bring out old Uncle Bobby's buck, Senior Hunter, and he's making these master yep. national dogs look like fools because he's pheasant hunted a ton with me. He knew what to do, oh, and he knew that smell. And it was like, you know, all the other stuff, they were kicking his ass. But when it came to that ah. pheasant flyer, he'd front foot it, and he never missed it. And And I swear to you that a dog that had pheasant hunted enough. Now I do think, and we can maybe debate this, which would be fun. I do think a dog that over pheasant hunts, right? Like life's about balance. We do too much of this. It's not good. We do too, you know, too much of that. It's not good either. So if you over pheasant hunt and that dog trusts itself too much, then its nose is going to be on the ground too much to run in blinds and trust itself more than it trusts you. Poison birds might be harder when the heat of the moment is right there. Right. Things like that. Yes, you're going to yep. run into predicaments. Right. Not necessarily fully right. problems, but predicaments. Um, for sure, for sure. But I do think that dog who has pheasant hunted and like super fired up over a rooster, you know, that they flush and they retrieve and it's kicking in their mouth and they're like, they'll live for it they'll never miss a rooster live flyer they'll never they'll front foot that sucker every time but if they've never seen one yeah no chance they, yeah and you just brought me to i mean such a great memory of that i mean you guys think 2013 i'm in chinook kansas in the first series of the AKC master national it's pheasant flyers, right? And they got one of those big tangelo tossers that launches the suckers like 70 yards. Yep. You know I mean? And they're shooting a flyer at the arc at like 40 yards in the in the, in the the air, and then it fails because of the wind. And I ain't kidding you. Uh, I'm up winning with 67 and fellow with 73, and, and I still got the numbers here at my house hanging on the wall. And, and so, you know, I'm there, and I'm nervous. It's my first National National. I've traveled. I've been hearing about the National National. And, and I, I ain't kidding you, the, the 11 dogs before me, every one of them couldn't find a bird or had a handle on the bird and could not find it, you know? And I'm thinking to myself, at this point, you know, I'm nervous. It's my first one. Of course. You know, I've been hunting and everything, but I'm like, oh, man, is scenting really that bad? I mean, is my dog going to have this hard of a problem finding that long flyer? Which the flyer probably was 90 yards. Not a, I mean... You know, with, with that big of an arc, it was kind of because dogs were fading to the gun and hunting. Sure. Um, but, you know, and, and, and your your big arc flyer was your, you know, your final bird, um, your last bird down, or your last bird to pick up in general in this situation. So, um, and I'm just nervous as heck. And I got Winnie first, this girl I keep talking about, who's my, my main dog here. And I go up there and she marks them and she sits there and she always sat like a rock. She never moved nothing and her ears are up and, you know, I ship her on the short bird. I come back, I punch this, the other short check down bird. I come back and I rock at her straight out to that. And just exactly what you just said. She front foots it. I mean, she front foots it after previous dogs before me are blowing multiple whistles and I'm nervous. In fact, you know how it is, Matt's natural. You're in holding blinds for like nine holding blinds before you get to the line. Dude, and I'm just constantly hearing dogs get picked up. I had um, the bubble guts for for like fourteen days with a master. Yeah. Like three days leading <laughs> up, my I was nervous. 
all the way till the end, nervous. Every morning you'd wake up, you're like, Ugh. like, yeah. dude, the <laughs> nerves of that event yeah. was unbelievable. Right. So you understand what I'm talking about. Oh, so yeah. she goes on, smokes it, smokes it, and runs a beautiful under the arc line of the, of the short truck number. Come back, and I'm like, oh, man, that was sweet. And even the guy said to me, well, there was a guy that knew me from Wisconsin, my flight, and he said to me, oh, Vaughn, all that buzzed out and paid off, all that turned out and paid off, huh? I said, yeah, I sure look like it. Well, five dogs later, I got to go back and, they, you know, obviously they tell you, hey, it's okay. You can go a little bit further down the line. So get back in. Just take your time with that dog. Get the next one out. So I get back and I go with my fellow dog. The exact same thing happened. She front-footed every mark and pounded it. And, Sweet. You know, yes, I agree with you on that 100%. When it got to the in that particular one, every land series was pheasants, like you said, and every water series was ducks, like you said. Um, and um, in that particular one, I mean, I passed both of them. My first Master National, I passed both of them. Um, and they, and when I, I was like progressively getting more com- confident and less nervous as I got to the six series of the week. Oh, you know, God, I, I was going to throw up in the series. six series. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I was, <laughs> I'll tell you what, we had, a, we had a running water blind on that last series just to divert just for a second. Yeah, I'm going to tell you what, this. Get that dog where you need to give a walking over when you should, when it technically it's a back, and you want them to not let the current take them. You know, yeah. I mean it's just like please ride with the current or ride into the current and cut across the current. And get this person. Oh, <laughs> cool. <laughs> you yeah. know how it is. Yeah, but yeah, dude, I loved it. I mean, I, I hope that we can have one this year. I think we will. Now I don't think they're I throwing think pheasants too. anymore. Uh, I want to gotcha. say that the new rule is it's going to be Drake Mallard's every single bird. Gotcha. And I think the reason yeah, it makes sense because it's right. like, you know, every lighting of the day, every bird that comes out, a hen and a Drake are going to look different across the skyline and they're trying to make it more even for everybody. So I want to say for some reason it's going to be Drake Mallard's for everything. Oh, that's pretty crazy. I didn't hear that, but that's yeah. really cool that they're going to think about being more fair to the dogs. Yeah, don't quote me on it, but I'm 99% sure. Um, right. So, all right, let's, let's dive so we're back. We're going back to genetics, right? This all started with genetics. <laughs> yeah, somehow it started with genetics. This all genetics. started with the, yeah, No, that's okay. I'm, I'm good with you. I'm just like you. So, um, you know, the people that want to hear about, hey, guys, let me get back to the genetics. So, anyway, you know, stoning was another dog that's in the back of my life. But back to what you were talking about with me, you jumped off on was, you know, I want the FCs that went pheasant hunting. Tell me about that dog. Don't tell me about the, the FCs that were on the truck and, and um, some troll ran them and the owners never got to see them. I really don't want to know about that. I, I, I Don't get me wrong. I like, I follow them in the national championship. I follow everything. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to keep that way too. But I, I'm saying that from a, from a standpoint of what my goal is as a trainer and an upland competitor, an owner of a hunt club, and a wild bird rooster chaser, you know, right. because I'm pretty crazy about doing my wild bird hunts, you know. So um, I want to know the athleticism of a field champion. I want pencil legs. I want a dog no bigger than 70 pounds as a male, and I want it no bigger than 60 pounds as a female. I want a long body. I want a deep chest, all right, and I want a good nose. And I want tight eyes and tight feet. Now, that's completely opposite. The tight feet thing is completely opposite of what most lab owner uh, breeders want. Um, why? 
because they say we swim better if our feet are wet better, right? Um, that's fine. Most dogs can swim just fine no matter what. You can get a wreck here to swim good. I, I need a dog that when you know it, when it, when we're hunting in the crust of the snow in New York, that doesn't cut their feet in the first five minutes when we can't hunt the rest of the day. Right. You know, um, and that goes back to my hound. That goes back to what I learned as a 13 year old. When we genetically bred beagles, we bred for feet, deep chest, long body, pencil leg, good nose, right? Well, that all came back to me as an adult later on that I wanted to see in a lab. So when I'm looking at a pedigree, it starts there. Then it goes off on the, the genetics of, you know, all the way down to what you hear in the pointer world of the gate. I want a dog light on its feet, has a good gait. And if a dog's plodding and hard on the feet, the feet are loose and, and it's 80 pounds, you know, because they like to hunt a bunch of dogs in Louisiana and they think that's going to make a, an off one dog, which somebody's going to offend about that, which I don't mean to offend your dog, but 80 pound lab couldn't do it. But I'm just saying that dog's not going to outlast my 60 pound pencil leg tight footed female that's going through the, the cattails like a snake. You know, it's just not going to happen. And it's just the same as your lab isn't going to outrun my English pointer. Right. You know, um, and, and if you're, if you think that's going to happen, then you're kind of blind. And I don't know if people know this term because people don't use it too much anymore, but that just means you only see what you see in front of you. You can't look outside the box and realize that there's other things in the world that can be better. You know, so I am constantly studying the genetics across the country and I got a fox red niche. So I am like, constantly studying the number one fox red here i want to piece this and this because you, you, Bob, have you ever read the book uh snake the making of a champion by robert welly no but sm- well first of all mike i'm not a big reader and i think everybody on this podcast knows that uh i read where the yeah. red fern grows and that's about the extent of bob's education uh, right. <laughs> i'm kidding but uh <laughs> that's a great education Bob Whaley is was the president of Genesee Brewing Company, which is from Rochester, New York. And, right. and he had L. Hugh pointers. That was like his line right. of English pointers that were right. here in New York. And he has a state park that's about 35 minutes from my house. Awesome. Little known fact. I totally want to visit that. Oh, it's awesome. oh, dude. Yeah. It's so beautiful, and the statues and the artwork, yeah, it's so cool. But if you're telling me I should read this book, I'll probably get it book on tape, but I will get it. (laughs) Yeah, I I think you should because it'll open you into my world a little more, and it'll make you understand what I'm about to say right next, what I'm about to do now. So now that I got my emails in place, and like I said, I got a fox red niche, and I'm playing with that doesn't mean I don't own yellows. I own some yellows, but I'm going to figure out how many. Ten years from now, when you look down my string of dogs, they'll be all they'll be all as red as Dan and Anna on Twitter Red Bird Girl. Cool. I mean, that's just the way, that's where I'm going, right? Um, and I love it, and I've been fascinated with it from the first one I've seen, and I just kept the fascination going. But I really, you know, now, and you know it already with the field trial world and stuff, and I'm sure there's a lot of people listening that will understand line breeding, right? Yep. And so Des- now describe it though. So if we have talked about it, but describe yep. it. Okay. So I'm going to describe you what line breeding means to me and everybody's got their different ways, but, um, line breeding is to try to keep creating 
a, a dog with stronger traits of the same family gene pool. All right. And so I might, so let's say I got one dog as a great grandsire on one side, and I might bring that dog through as a grandsire on the other side, or I might have it as a sire on one side and a great grandsire on the same side, because I'm trying to bring, let's say for Sony, I'm going to go back to Sony. If I could get Sony one generation apart in a pedigree for my best upland dog, that would be kind of almost my ultimate pedigree. Right. You know, for just tournament hunting. I'm not talking about hunt pets or nothing right now or field trials. Hunting. Just for that, right? So I'm trying to line breed. My next thing is, and the reason why I mentioned Snake with the making of a champion is because Robert Welly developed the LHU pointers, and he goes in there and tells about line breeding and then when the time was to outcross and when the time wasn't and when to get rid of the outcross. And he really goes in there and describes his genetics of how he did it. And that fascinates me of how I'm going to do that for tournament dogs and master hunters by the time they're two. So my whole goal of my pedigrees is you got to be a master hunter within your two-year-old year, okay? And you got to be able to be an upland champion. you got to show me you can be an upland champion, preferably before you're a year, but I might give you still two years, you know? And I will sell you if you're uh, a master hunter at 18 months old but you suck in the upland bird dog world, I'll tell you. Right. If you're a awesome upland dog and you can't mark your way out of the wet paper bag, I'll sell you too. I got gotcha. you. Know? So those are my standards as a, as a as a breeder now. Now it's hard because you already know it's Bob, and you got the dogs that you love, and you got the dogs that you love to train, and this is so hard to talk to you. But I want to mention this while there's people listening. That does not mean that I am. De- degrading everybody else's breeding. That's just what I like. That's just my fascination with the dogs up there. I got show dogs here. I got pointers here. I got pointing laps here. I got field trial dogs here. I got dogs here that nobody even knows who the parents are. Right. I mean, so as a trainer, the trainer, as the trainer in me, I don't look down on your dog because it's not out of my breeding. And I know you don't either because otherwise you'd never train anybody else's dogs. Right. Right. Um, but as a breeder and as a competitor, like Lyle Simon said, he likes the old blood. I know that what dogs I like to make me successful and what I want, you know, and that's what I want to make sure people understand because everybody starts at your first dog. So you can bring your first dog to me training or me helping you become a bird, upland bird dog tournament hunting or, you know, becoming an ATC master hunter, whatever your goal is. And we're just going to train the dog you put in front of me because I'm a trainer. Right. If 10 years from now, the you know, back to bird dog wars, so what we're talking about, the genetics of bird dog wars, you know, the reason why I've been staying on top of the game, now mind you, let me throw a little tidbit in, I'm just going to, you know, kind of float my own boat for a second here, but and it's kind of fun. And the last three national champions have been bred by us and have been trained at my facility in the BDC. So the last three years running, I have trained the national champions. That's awesome. So when I tell you, nobody's and every one of them is a master hunter. That's even better. And every one of them was a master hunter in their two-year-old year. So that's when I said that earlier in this cast about I'm the number one doing that. Yeah, but I know the genetics I like to train. You know, and there's times when in, in genetics where it's like, okay, I, I need more marking again. I got too much nose over here, or vice versa. You know, but uh. In general, I 
going back to my original thing of line breeding, which you're wanting me to get to, line breeding should keep producing me the same dog that I want to compete with. So I am trying to line breed the, the, the dogs that make me successful so that 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now, you're going to see my champions right now still in the pedigree. And as you know, it's phenomenal. Like Journey and Cowboy are getting stored like once a month. I'm taking them to get stored once a month. Fifteen years from now, I can be like, I wish I could breed that female to Journey because that would have made a really good pairing. Well, I can. That's how phenomenal it is nowadays. It's awesome. Yeah, that's super cool. Fifty, you know, and and that's where I want to be sitting. I want to have a hundred some straws on each dog and go. Fifteen years from now, I go. This female would match up perfectly with Journey, and I'm going to breed her Journey. And all of a sudden, I got a Journey puppy. Fifteen years later, and guess what? It's the same genetics I won with 15 years ago, and I got it right now. I fast forward 15 years later. That's what's in my head right now. That's really yeah. cool, man. That's really cool. So, so you're gearing up for March. Well, today is yep. uh, today is January 17th, 19th. I don't know what day it is. 19th. It's mid January. Yep, yep. <laughs> you're a dog trainer. 20, you don't know yeah, what day it is. 2021. <laughs> And so you're gearing up. I saw my help. What day is it? Yeah. It, it, you're gearing up for March. What are you doing? Like, we're trying yep. to peak dogs, right, for Master National, for a, a bunch of Master yep. tests coming in the summer. We're, we're trying to get dogs right and peak when we need them. What are uh, you doing in your program right now for the dogs that are compete going to compete in March? All right. I, the word peak you just said is magical. I am now trying to get to see, we're in the north. Um, fortunately, I'm going to be training in Georgia for the next month. I'm leaving in a week and a half to train in Georgia for a month. But um, in general, when I stay up here, um, I got to beat the heat, right? I'll leave here in probably 20 degrees and go down and compete in 50. Well, that's a big adjustment Huge for the dog. It, it, there seems to always be a day at the Nationals that gets up to 50 or 60 degrees, and my dogs have only seen negative 10, and the highest thing they've seen is 20 degrees for the last being up here in Wisconsin, like you are, right? Right. Um, so all of a sudden, conditioning becomes huge. And I'm trying to, when you're saying peak, I'm trying to get this dog conditioned to a point that I feel they're peaking to where I can run with maximum output on their conditioning program. So that when the heat hits them, the conditioning will hopefully make up for what the what the heat's going to hit them. With. Right. Okay? Yep. Makes sense. Now, with that being now with that being said, I'm giving them birds about two days a week um, to see where their nose is at, see how their lines are at, based on me setting up the scenario of what's going to what's going to happen. I'm conditioning the other two days the other two days a week. Excuse me. Two to, two days a week. I'm conditioning two to three days a week. And so Monday, okay, they got the weekend off. Monday, I'm going to take these dogs out, and I'm going to run them on my track. And I'm going to run them aerobic and anaerobic, just like you would in martial arts, just like I did back in the martial arts with my fighters, right? So I want this dog to run anaerobic at about 14 miles an hour. And then I'm going to blitz for like 250 yards or 300 yards with the four-wheeler at as fast as that dog can run. And that's going to stimulate that retrieve there and back. Then I'm going to let them go back down to 14 miles an hour. Right? Are you doing this free running? or you're, I mean, you're not going as fast as you can with a roading harness, right? No. All no, free no roading harness. Be, yeah, no roading harness because of 
of the fact of what I want to do with free running. And I want to push the dog. Okay. I mean, it's I hard to it. believe, but I mean, a lot of times, when, yeah, my dogs are going 29, 32 miles an hour. Best story I ever had here was 33 miles an hour. Like, you know, um, so, and what I'm also watching for while I'm conditioning them is, will you quit me? And then that transposes over to hunting later. Will you quit me or will you keep going? Right. You know, um, and, and, you know, we talk more about that later. We're talking about the competition right now. And I don't want to get off subject, but so I want to see if you'll quit me. And, and sometimes I do it for time. Sometimes I do it for number of laps. It doesn't matter. But Monday I'm going to take them on and give them an easy, probably five lappers. Um, they're going to be out there for probably a total of six minutes. And I'm going to do that on Monday and I'm going to put them up and then I'm going to let them rest. And then I'm going to make sure they're eating high performance dog food. And then I'm going to probably give them a few extra vitamins and I'm probably going to have Google's to me and I'm going to hit a little bit of that because I want, you know, them to replenish a lot better because I'm pushing them a lot harder. You know, and I'm going to keep the weight off of them to where you're seeing ribbage, but not to where they look skinny. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, and I want them there. So now I'm going to do that. Tuesday. I'm going to give them long marks in the thickest grass as I can find. So I want them to do marks in the thickest grass as I can find, and I want them to go just mark. Just go and run like six marks. And I want them to get in that mark in the thickest cover as fast as they can and dig it out and get it back to me as fast as they can. So we're just going to do five or six marks on Tuesday. And then Wednesday, I'm going to condition you again. Okay? And... Thursday, I'm going to run a pattern with all frozen birds. I'm going to work on your cording. I'm going to work on your whistle. I'm going to stitch you to every single bird on frozen birds. So they're going to turn on the bird. They're going to go in and want to smell it. I'm going to sit them to every single bird. I'm going to work only control on Thursday while they're running a tournament field pattern, right? Yep. Um, and then Friday, I'm going to go out and do the real thing with you. I'm going to go out and shoot you. I'm only going to shoot the last two birds live. Sometimes I'll do a full set of five birds, but in general, I'll do three dead birds in uh, front and middle zones, and I'm going to shoot the last two birds. And the reason why I want to do that psychology-wise for the dog is I want them to want to think about getting in the back of the field as fast as possible because that's when they get the live birds. All right, so, so, you know, in the hunt test world. I'm going to just I'm gonna stop you real quick. That's super yeah. smart and something that we've heard before on the podcast with Clark Kennington where – he throws a ton of live flyers at the longbird and building that confidence, that drive, that desire, that passion to go further, harder. And so to, you know, honestly for an older dog who's been through the paces to go pick up a dead bird while they're quartering is like, meh, all right. Yeah. I'll sit to this one. Sure. I'll go get it. And then to know that like, all right, baby, that was like two or three. There's gotta be a live one here. There's gotta be a lot. And bang, here it goes mentally right mentally you're really pushing them to get through the course to get their reward 100 percent. and that's their live flyers are going to be the last two birds so i want them to you know go there then um and i'm going to do that on friday and during that just like we do in our retriever training in our retriever thing i'm going to take notes did the dog stop and check old nets too much did it have its nose down too much? Was it running head high? Was it hitting the wind right? Um, you know, because um, I'm going to play the wind, and I want to see if the dog's using the, the wind right. So let's just say, for an example, the hardest wind to play this game and the hardest wind to hunt in is the wind that we use for hunt test setups, which is the wind at your back, right? right? Well, when you're upland hunting, that's the hardest wind. 
because I'm shooting you forward on line, and then you got to come back into the bird to smell it. Well, the smart champions like Winnie and Journey and Cowboy and my, my top, you know, four right now that I'm running that I believe I can win anything with. And Lyle Simon taught me one thing about this that I'll get on in a second. He just taught me a mentality that I really like. Um, anyway, he, the, that dog needs to shoot out. And when I tweet the whistle, it needs to run the wind and turn its head back towards me as it keeps running. That's what it needs to do, you know. So the dog actually turns its nose into the wind as, as it keeps running. And then smell the bird and turn into me. That's what the dog needs to do, you know. Yep. So that and and then they need to do that all the way down. So I want to watch. So I actually want to train a lot of times in my in my fields at my hunt club and in my training field at my at my house and stuff. I actually want to train with the wind at my back because that's the worst thing, you know. Um, Agreed. So I want to get them dogs used. To, I want to get them dogs. I want to get them. Them dogs used to. I want to get them dogs used to being the fact that when the wind's at your back, that's the that's the worst one you can be in, and then everything else becomes easy. If I got a crosswind or I got a headwind, you know, um, and that's that's where I'm I'm training. I'm not doing that all the time, but I want to see if this dog's running the right line and all the wind. So when I talk about running line, shoot out. Okay, now when I tweak the whistle twice, twice, turn ninety. Run across in front of me, but turn your head towards me to smell that wind because that wind's behind you. And then when you smell it, turn it in and put it up so I can shoot it. You know, that's super cool, dude. So that's super yeah. cool. So, so, so a lot of it is transition. I'm glad I'm going to talk about this because I don't get to talk about this much, and I think the the country needs to know how technical a true upland bird dog is running. It's it's the same technical as running a blind or anything else. It's just a different game. You know. Yeah, you know, truthfully, I would say I was, uh, what do you want to call it? I don't know. My mind is drawing a blank, but I I figured, you know, have you ever seen a a roustabout? Like the Boykins in South Carolina, for instance. The Boykin folks, they do this thing called a roustabout. It's literally the same thing you're doing. But but there's no real rhyme or reason, and I don't think anybody, if they were to listen to this and implement what you just discussed, they would go win the roustabout and win money and have fun and up, you know, beat everybody. Because right. it's it's not just go walk a field and let your dog find them, and you you got to make sure you hit them, and your dog's got to deliver it. Like as simple as simple as it is, it's not right. It's, right. it's precision. It's like you said, I, I lost by one second. And, and when you're competing yeah. to win instead of just pass, it comes down to every, if it slips the whistle, if it right. takes a bad line, if it, I mean, they've got to miss a bird once in a while. I mean, there's got to be a dog oh, out yeah. there in the championship, down to the wire. The money's on the line, and it just runs past a bird and and breathes out instead of breathes in. And you're like, 100%. oh, there's 20 seconds right there. Yeah. And it might still find the bird and boom, put it up, you kill it, and bingo, bango. But it doesn't hit that wind right, and, and you're out uh, technically. Not out past fail, but you're just you're out of the running because it took – 45 seconds to win that bird. Um, 
100%. And so I, I looked at it like the roustabout. And, and you watch these guys, and they just there's quail out there, and their little boy can run around, and they have a great time. And, it, yeah, they got some money on the line. It's just like fun betting type of deal. There's no titles. It's just part of the fun. Good Lord, if they listen to this podcast and, like, actually train for it, they could clean house, man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they could clean this house. This is the inside view. I'm giving you a lot of inside views. It's taken me, you know, 11 years in the game to, to put it all together, um, you know, and it's my own blend of hunt test training to the Upland Bird Dog world, uh, you know, doing it and really seeing it from a deeper level and really sitting down with the best tournament hunters in the game and seeing what they were seeing you know really being a student of the game um and you know all these little tidbits are on the way just accumulated the things that i was telling you about yeah so preparing for the national that you just asked me about and what you know the people are listening to this podcast need to know is that there's very serious steps i'm taking to try to make what would be the fourth national champion in the role you know so that's what i'm obviously shooting for right now um and you know and i have you know, 16 dogs here that are going to the national championships, uh, probably even more this year. Some are going to be running the puppy under two-year-old division. Um, some are going to be running just double. Some are going to be running the singles. But some are going to be handled by their own owners because I can only run four dogs. But, you know, it's very prideful for me, too, to train a dog and watch a person grow as a player at the sport. Like, you come out hang out with me, Bob, for a month. I show you about how to take your best dog that's your best size of dog and turn it up and turn it out and see you go play a tournament for the first time and see what kind of success you can have. Yeah. You know? Um, oh, shoot. And, yeah. and, and so I'm, I'm a coach on that, too, and that's why I do my seminars on that. And you guys, you know, you guys can follow me on all this stuff, too, later on and, on, you know, that going. But, yeah, so that's the deep of it. But, you know, back to what you just said, I want to you, – you brought up a perfect uh, story, if you don't mind, on what you just said. Um in the 2018 World Championships, which the, the national is in the in the March and the world is in the fall, um, the world used to mean that any organization could come compete. It was kind of an open invite to anybody from any organization. Um, Winnie's in the finals. You know, going back to my girl Winnie, I've been talking about. She's in the finals, and uh, and this is Bird Dog Wars. Let's go back to Bird Dog Wars, right? The, the, the cameras are on me. Let's go back to this for a minute. There's also the same as, can you imagine being at the Master National, and then before you go in to run your Master National run with your dogs, you're getting interviewed, you know, <laughs> just yeah. before you go in. Yeah, I'd be like, you hold know, on, I'm hitting the porta potty quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so just before you go in, they're sitting down, putting a mic on you, pulling you up. They're prepping you for what they're going to ask you so you can think about it quick. And you're on the spot. At the same time, you're trying to keep the zone of how you're going to win this thing, you know, um, while they're interviewing you, what do you think about this? What's your strength? What do you think is going to happen if you do this, right? So season three is about to come a bird on work. Season one got on YouTube. Season two's first episode made YouTube, but they didn't put the rest of season two up there. Season three is supposed to happen, right? It's actually the most amazing year that we had. And we in the world championships, and there's a camera crew behind me. And they're following me through the field. And then they got a big lift, a big lift that you would use for building um, buildings out in the middle of the field. Uh, off out of bounds and they're filming they got a camera up in there too um and they got a cameraman walking right behind you with the judge and you got the and you got a mic on the whole time that you're out there right so you're going out there and now the pressure's really like not only are you got to run your run you got the camera crew on you and they're gonna edit things so you got a lot of pressure on you, you got to shoot properly so i go out there with winnie and i run a seven minute run okay 
and it gets done, and it was a good run, but it wasn't that, oh, you're going to have to be a good man to beat me run. Right. You know, it wasn't that run. Um, so I run this run, and they're doing the, they like to do an interview right at the moment, right when you get the last bird in the hand, and you're all pumped up, they like to do an interview with you. So the producer, so the cameraman says, hey, Mike, how do you feel about that run? And where they going, so I said, all right, run. I said, I think I left, the, I said, this should be done in five minutes. I think I left two minutes on the table. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's just okay. Well, then the guy says again, well, no, if you thought you were doing good, you know, what would you, what would you think? I said, well, that's not really that good. I just kind of repeated what I said and I kind of didn't get it. Well, later on, the producer comes to me and here's the deal. I get back to the, to the trailer. I'm done running Winnie's. And they say to me, they finally say to me now, cause I have no idea what's going on. That's another thing I need to let the, the people know I'm talking. They do what's called sequestering. So the day of the final, they take your cell phone so nobody can text you and cheat anything. You are sitting in a clubhouse by yourself, and they call you when it's time for you to go run the field, and they take you to a field that you don't know, you've never been there, and they mic you up and put a camera on you, and you got to figure out the strategy of this field when you step to the gate. You've never seen it before. So you don't now, know what anyone person. else has done. And either. I don't know what anyone else has done either, right? Oh, Until I'm done like running it. my dog. I like it. Yeah, so it's so they sequester us, so you don't have any clue what's going on. You have no information. So now, when the finals come, it's the best of the best. Of who can go out, go to an unknown field with your dog, play the wind, run the line, shoot the birds, and do it in the fastest time as possible. This is the level we're at now. With the camera crew asking questions before you start and following you the whole way through. Right? And so, you go out there, and you're done. Get back to the truck, and I'm going down, and I'm, and I'm done. They said, well, there's only one run left. And I come down to get my equipment. They take me back to the sequestered area, and they, they, they drive me. By the way, they're doing this side-by-side. Side. They transport you side-by-side side with your dog in a dog box in the back, and they drive you back there. And they they get to the back there, and I said, Vaughn, don't you want to go run this last run? And I said, why? They go, well, you're winning it right now. Said, what? You know, so didn't know that the interviewer of the camera guy is trying to get me to, like, be pumped up about my run. But... I wasn't pumped up, but to go to the story of what you touched on earlier, I I had run King, which was a Winnie's son, and uh, he was a very good dog too. He's retired now; he hurt his leg. But I run King through there, and I ran like an eight-minute run. They were putting this bird at the bottom of a hillside, right at where the hillside met the hill going up and the hill flattening out. Well, if anybody knows anything about birds flattening, that's the spot where the wind blows right over it. They can't smell it, you know. So I had brought King through there and got that bird earlier, but at like eight minutes. And um, so as I can't find this last bird at the Winnie, and I got four birds in four minutes thinking, this is over. I'm going to have that run. That's going to be hard to beat, right? I spend three more minutes looking for one more bird like you're talking about. Like you said, right, right, right. Right. So finally, I think to myself, I mean, you know, after a while, you're like stupid me. I finally think to myself, just check the bottom of that hill where they can't smell. She's been hitting every bird perfect. So I, I come down this hill, and I'm thinking, it's about here. She flushes the bird. Now, she's coming down the hill, and the bird's going up from the bottom of the hill, right? Well, the camera crew is behind me. As the bird goes straight up, she leaps off the, the hill. I'm at the bottom of the hill. She's ten. She's like four feet over my head, and she catches this bird out of the sky um, oh. right in front of the camera crew. And, and, like, falls down to the bottom of the hill, which is probably about 10 feet at this point, and turns and 
spins like on a dime because she's been trained her whole life. She's eight years old at the time. It gives me like a two second retrieve, right? Nice. Um, and the camera goes, holy crap, man. That's the coolest thing ever. Holy man, dude. I can't wait to put this on Bird Dark Wars season three. This is amazing. Well, then goes into what I just said, asking me about this amazing interview. What would you think of your winner right now? And you're so like, the story ah. goes to this. And I'm like, ah. The story goes up. Vaughn, you want to go watch? No way I'm winning. Well, then the producer comes up to me. Vaughn, he says, he said, what a really key thing to me. He says, Vaughn, you got to realize, man, the way you've been playing this game, if you're struggling with the bird, everybody else is. He says, your dogs are too good. You've done this too long. And now it's true. Everybody went full. A lot of people couldn't find that bird that you're talking about. Just lots of dogs couldn't smell. You know? Mm. Um, and I happened to do it in seven minutes and happened to win the world championship in 2018 with Winnie. That's you know? super cool, man. So, that's super so it's cool. Just cool things like that, you know. The world takes us in unbelievable places and and get to see some unbelievable things with our dogs. That's for right. absolutely sure. Right. Absolutely sure. Right. All right, Mike. That's- we've been rolling for like damn near two hours. Easy, <laughs> easy <laughs> conversation. <laughs> I know. I appreciate you guys. Hang with me and everybody no. listening, hanging with me. You were awesome. So what I'd like to do is give you a chance to tell everybody where they can learn about you, your kennel, your hunting club, and where they can watch and learn more if they want to join, like the Bird Dog Wars and the Upland Challenge. Give that a, a spiel. Yep. Well, look me up on the Blast Wing Shooting Channel, um, Facebook. Michael D. Vaughn is my Facebook and it's my Instagram. I got to get a kennel page up there. Um, the Rush of the Flush is my hunt club. That's also on Facebook and Instagram. Um, and then the National Bird Dog Circuit, which is the BDC, is where you can find the event. And then by getting connected with me on social media, you know, I'll have my Upland Bird Dog Seminar where I teach people how to do this sport. Um, and then kind of what we were talking about at the beginning of this, um, you know, I'm going to be starting an online series for not only, you know, waterfall dogs, which people like what i do there too um but there's no upland bird dog online course in the country so i'm about to fill that niche so hang tight on that my friend cool dude cool and if they want to find some of these episodes of the bird dog wars on youtube do they just search bird dog wars yep search bird dog wars you'll see me on there and uh it'll be fun if anybody wants to contact me how to get in the game or you know how to buy a puppy or training that it takes or whatever i'd be happy to help anybody i mean a lot of people that are playing the game nowadays because i help them out which is cool that's awesome man it's like when i coach martial arts i love it man i love this episode i loved having you on you're energetic charismatic bad to the bone i loved it (laughs) i loved it so go ahead well i just want to say to you bob thank you very much the things that i just talked about for the last hour and a half for two hours are things that I've wanted to say for a long time, and I appreciate you bringing it out and letting me get it off so people can hear it because it's very, very important to me on kind of my legacy and things that I'm doing in my life, so I appreciate you bringing that out of me, my friend. Oh, happy to have you. you know, Our pleasure, and we'll do it again, especially after March. We'll have to schedule you for like an April to talk about the March tournament, all right? Yeah, do that. Let's do April, and I'll tell you how the Nationals went, and we'll – We'll get back to it, my friend. Heck yeah. All right. Stay safe, travel safe, work hard, win that son of a gun, and everybody check him out. Oh, Mike, thank you so much for being a part of it. We'll catch you guys on the flip side.
Hey, join our community. If you enjoy the show, if you enjoy our YouTube, if you enjoy Instagram, it's like buying me and Kevin a beer. Join patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. The link is in the description. Click that link. Join the community. We've got tons of great videos, tons of great content, and you can ask me more questions. So join it. Enjoy it. We did it for you, and you're helping us produce this show. So thank you so much to that community. Get in, get out, let's roll. Patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today. Thank you.